Salutations. Welcome to Podmortem. I'm Renee Hunter Vasquez, joined as always by my co-host, my husband, and my brother. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. Hi, I'm Travis Hunter. This week, we're recording live from a mysterious sub-basement discussing the 1973 British horror anthology, The Vault of Horror. This film was directed by Roy Ward Baker with the screenplay by Milton Sabotsky based on stories from Al Feldstein and Bill Gaines. Taking stories from the Tales from the Crypt and Shock Suspense Stories comics provided the Vault of Horror with creepy, intriguing, and unique stories to be brought to life. This film was suggested to us by friend of the show and our mom, Nisa Hunter. She's always been super supportive of the show, and without her, two of us literally would not be here. (laughs) So, what did you guys think about the Vault of Horror the first time you saw it? I watched it for the first time today. Really? Yeah. I've never heard of this movie or seen it or anything, but I enjoyed it. It was hell g- yeah. Yes. It was a, you're a wild card. You so are. I never know. I hoped you would. I well, we watched it on what was the app again? Movie Land TV. Okay, but you watched it. You said on a DVD, right? Yeah. Well, on the Movie Land TV app, it looked like it trash. Looked <laughs> shitty. Yeah. No, it did. I tried to watch it on there and I saw the aspect ratio was all fucked up and I'm like, I'm out of here. Well, I looked at it and I'm like, oh, 1973. Okay. Um, I just dealt with it. That's what I thought. Uh Yeah. I promise the film looks really good. You guys were given a, (laughs) you guys were dealt a bad hand. I don't, I'll watch it again. I don't even care. It's that good to me. I just watched it. I'll watch it again. Me too. And it looked good when I watched it. (laughs) I do want to say one thing before uh-huh. the music is fucking terrific yes like, uh, <laughs> it's so good it's so dramatic yeah i was like <laughs> this shit is control. going off yes it's so fitting of what they're doing yeah because when you think of ec comics that stuff was over the top yeah. oh yeah you know so it just fit perfectly i thought and you do too so yeah. <laughs> but no i've i've loved this movie since childhood yeah it's kind of perfect that mom suggested it because she's the one that showed it to us in the first place Mm -hmm. and also this episode i believe is coming out the week after her birthday yeah so timely to cover it yeah happy birthday last week mom happy birthday last week mom (laughs) but i mean i i've always loved this film i know it wasn't in the rotation as much as creep show yeah it wasn't but it's great yeah i mean like i said with that ec comics influence i feel like a lot of people have heard of tales from the crypt but not so much the Vault of Horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It feels like the less like popular sibling at school. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so me. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I think it's like one of those that you pop on and just enjoy. It's so much fun. It really is. And the stories are great. You know, I just think that if you haven't seen it, because a lot of people saw Amicus's previous film, in 1972, which was Tales from the Crypt. Right. So much so that people called this Tales from the Crypt 2 or like fur- further into the, the crypt or something. Well. <laughs> so, I mean, it uh, carved out its own thing oddly using the name The Vault of Horror without... Leaning on Tales from the Crypt. It very easily could have just been Tales from the Crypt 2. Yeah. Like you, though, I love this movie. I've obviously, same, watched it since I was a kid. And it's funny because mom would always show us these anthology movies. Mm -hmm. And so whenever she would talk about one, I'd be like, is that the one with blank? And she's (laughs) like, no, that's Vault of Horror. And so watching it for this, I haven't seen it in so long. I was like, this is the one that I always wanted to watch when I was a kid. It's so like nostalgic for that reason. But like even as an adult, 
not having watched it for so long because like creep show was a constant yeah vault of horror i haven't seen in a very long time and it's still adult me it holds up it's so good <laughs> i think i don't know if it's there's something to me about the 70s aesthetic yeah that just and i wasn't i didn't grow up in the fucking 70s you sure i'm not <laughs> well <laughs> but it like it takes me back and it makes me feel that nostalgic feeling i don't know what it is but it's always done that for me and this film is like the prime example of it for me maybe you lived in the 70s in a past life maybe i don't know man <laughs> <laughs> I did think it was interesting, though, like I said, with the EC Comics connection. Yeah. The Vault of Horror was kind of like a sister comic to Tales from the Crypt, which explains why they kind of go back and forth and everything. Uh Uh-huh. I was reading that they were really only in publication for like, I know the Vault of Horror was only for like five years or something. Oh, wow. Like what happened was they, this guy, I guess, released a book called Seduction of the Innocent. And when he released it, the U.S. government was like, oh, my God, comic books are killing our kids. (laughs) And so they did like a government panel. And so they basically made it to where they started self-regulating. And then it shut down all of like the horror comics in the United States. That'll fuck it right up. All that makes me do is want to go read that. Yeah, of course. They told they said, look, you guys can still make comics, but you can't use the word horror. You can't use the Yeah. And so they were like, fuck it. We're done. Forget it. Yeah. And so it kind of just stayed like dormant for a while. And then I don't know if this is what revitalized it, but I do know that. Milton Sabatsky you said yeah he was a huge fan of these growing up and so he was like he went to his business partner in Amicus and he was like please 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 (laughs) (laughs) and then they bought the rights to them and so I would like to think that it revitalized it yeah through that but I just thought that was really interesting it is one change that they did make is that in the vault of horror comics there's a vault keeper and he's not the crypt keeper (laughs) like the crypt keeper (laughs) yeah it's like two different people but for some reason, in one of the comics, a lot of the times they would put different stories told by each of them. And so mm-hmm. after a comic of his, he'd be like, well, back to you. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we paint a portrait of this film, we would like to issue a warning for spoilers. Podmortem is a very in-depth podcast and in thoroughly discussing horror films, we have no choice but to spoil a thing or two. If you don't wish to be spoiled, please go watch the film, then come back and enjoy the show. If you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers, then let's tidy up. So we open with credits as, like you said, very dramatic music. (laughs) We see Big Ben along with the River Thames and the streets of London before zooming in on an office building. I loved this thing because this is a very like delightfully British anthology. Oh, yeah. Which to me makes it even better. Yeah. And they're saying they're like, look, this is (laughs) this is London where we're at and the font. Oh, yeah, Yeah. the font's great. It's groovy, man. Inside the building, the music continues doing the absolute most as five (laughs) men, one by one, board an elevator. Their elevator etiquette can use some work. (laughs) (laughs) I will say that. The first dude gets on and faces the dude that's already in there. That's not how you do that. (laughs) It's not how that works. Well, maybe in the 70s. Hey, I wasn't there. (laughs) Were you? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But they are Harold Rogers, played by Daniel Massey, Arthur Critchett, played by Terry Thomas, Sebastian, played by Kurt Jurgens, Maitland, played by Michael Craig, and Moore, played by Tom Baker. Y'all got all that? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> they stand in elevator awkwardness, waiting to reach their destination, but despite the fact that they press the button for the ground floor, the elevator continues past it and stops at the sub-basement. 
already off to a bad start <laughs> i'm already scared yeah <laughs> i have a thing about elevators elevators already. Can, they can be scary see um the only good scene, the in, only annabelle. Good scene in annabelle <laughs> or devil there you go oh god i not... like that movie but nay the jelly fell <laughs> yeah. toast side, or jelly side down yeah oh my god that's that, so scary that's fucking hilarious we need to cover a devil <laughs> i would for love sure. to but the elevator doors finally open to reveal a whole setup in this sub basement the small room has a table in the middle of it equipped with alcohol and glasses and set up with five chairs i'd be like suspicious a very there there are five of us <laughs> just trying to offer him drinks i mean that's I mean, the but, nicest way to look at it uh, yeah that is a very nice way to look at it i do love the overhead shot of them sitting at the table mm-hmm. yeah because it's like it's you're hanging over their head and things are hanging over their heads yeah if you think about it well it's pretty yeah. deep let's get into it <laughs> But they get out of the elevator to investigate and the door closes before they realize that there's no call buttons or, you know, other mm. buttons on their side of the door. Yet they aren't that alarmed. No, they are like, well, there's no way out. Let's have a drink. Yeah. <laughs> but there is liquor. There is liquor. Would they, you trust that liquor? Um, I mean, what else am I supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, you can't get out. <laughs> like, I can't leave. I might as well drink. <laughs> they take their seats around the table and start pouring drinks. One of the men muses that this feels like a dream, but Rogers pipes up. Dreams are scarier than this. Well, his are anyway. I'd be like, dude, you need to talk yeah. about this? <laughs> He says they're strange, otherworldly, and unbelievable, but they feel so real that they might as well be actually happening. We zoom in on him as he's talking and, you know, drinking his free drink. <laughs> And one of the men invites him to tell about his dream and he needs no further convincing. He no. just gets right into it. <laughs> That's me w- wanting to talk to everybody about my dreams. <laughs> I feel like he was already on his way to like a therapy appointment. And he's like, right. I got to unload I gotta, anyway. Yes. It's in the chamber. It's coming out. <laughs> but here we start the first story, Midnight Mess. We're in an apartment as Rogers stands getting ready in a mirror and his doorbell rings. He immediately throws down what he's doing and goes to answer. <laughs> standing there is Clive, played by Michael Pratt. Rogers lets him inside and Clive goes to make himself a drink, remaining silent as Rogers is like, have you found her? Where is she? <laughs> so he makes the, the money sign with oh, his yeah. fingers and Rogers gives him the cash. And then suddenly Clive has the ability to speak. <laughs> it's a miracle. Right. He hands him an address written on a piece of paper telling him that's where she lives, but there's something about the town that he doesn't like. There's something strange about it. But Roger's like, fucking whatever, man. (laughs) He questions if he was seen and if anybody knows that he's the one who hired him. But Clive is like, no, I'm, you know, professional. Everything's confidential. Nobody knew anything. This made me laugh because he's a private investigator. Yeah. And I'm sure he blended in very well in the 1970s. But oh, yeah. now we'd be like, I think that hipster is a PI. <laughs> I think that guy was paid to watch us. <laughs> but Rogers is pleased. And when Clive turns to leave the apartment, Rogers immediately wraps his belt around Clive's neck and takes him down to the couch, strangling him. That was abrupt. It was immediate. I'm like, oh, we're getting in this now. Like, yeah. We're not easing into the story. I thought that was his tie. Oh, maybe. It looked like a belt. I don't know. He I fucking just, strangled yeah. the man with something. Well, okay. we, we wore belts as ties in the set. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they, they were. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> but the music swells and Clive is quickly killed. So being strangled, I would pretend to be dead, right? 
Yeah. And, and then the second they went to go make plans to dispose of my body, I would spring up like the Undertaker and like. I mean, take unless care of business. the person that killed you has seen Scream and they're just going to shoot you. Well, it's 1973. <laughs> <laughs> Rogers, though, is like, thank you. It snatches back his money and looks at the address on the piece of paper. You, you get your money back, but what are you going to do with this dude now? That's well, the question. <laughs> did he rent the hotel yeah. room under a fake name or? I mean, he's like, I'm leaving trails. Yeah. I, don't, I don't even care. <laughs> I'm not even worried about it. No. But we cut to Rogers on a street walking up to the house. He rings the bell and waits very impatiently for an answer. Like he's already annoyed the second after he rings the bell. But he looks down the street to see that street lights are on and a restaurant is lit up down the road. Well, a building is lit up. One thing I've noticed from doing audition and the vault of horror in the span of a few weeks uh-huh i feel like everything is slash looks cooler in not america definitely <laughs> <laughs> like this is just a standard neighborhood but i was like oh look at the it's way gorgeous that it, it's yeah. a neighborhood yeah but he checks his watch and turns from the house only to get the shit scared out of him by a man that was seemingly crouching on the street because <laughs> yeah. he just stands up right in front of him it's like he materialized <laughs> <laughs> before our very eyes i was like oh shit and he gets the fright he frightens him yeah. no he scares the shit out of him <laughs> but the man joylessly identifies rogers as a stranger and tells him that it's getting dark and he'd better get inside somewhere the man promptly walks away and rogers makes his way toward the restaurant now i know that he was probably like i'm about to kill this dude i'm about to kill this dude i'm about to kill this dude it wasn't listening to him uh-huh but Clive saying there's something weird about that place. Yeah. I don't like it. And then this dude being like, you're a stranger. You should get inside somewhere. That like, would make me concerned. I'd be like, yeah. maybe I should not be in this town. No. And I mean, I don't know why he doesn't take it seriously. He's like, um, no, I'm getting a bite. Thanks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and just leaves. He's like, stay on the road. Keep clear of the moors. Right? But he's like, no, I'm going <laughs> to. I'm going to go to the moors. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Thank you, please. But he lets himself into the restaurant, hangs up his coat, and walks straight into the dining area. Two men who were previously drinking tea and chatting just turned to stare at him, mm. and one of them looked a lot like Sasha Baron Cohen. <laughs> <laughs> but Roger seats himself, and when he's approached by this man is credited as Old Waiter, cool. played by Eric Chitty, he asks for a menu. The server explains to him that he can't get a menu because they're about to close. But Rogers is flabbergasted. It's dinner time. How could they possibly be closing before seven o'clock? The server says it's getting dark out and they always close before dark. They come out in the dark. And Rogers is like, who? But the server is fucking He gone. just leaves. Yeah. <laughs> but I'd be like, why do you live here then? But yeah, but wouldn't that... That's three people now who have told you that some yeah, fucking weird shit at, is happening. At that point, I'm just... I think I fucked up. Yeah. yeah. I shouldn't have came over here. Yeah. Nothing in this town is important enough, I don't no. think. No. Or I'll come back in the morning. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. During the day. Yeah. I'm going to get a hotel outside of town. Outside yeah. of town. <laughs> Not the one I killed the PI in. No. Yeah. Another one. But he makes his way back to the door and grabs his coat. When he goes back onto the street, the lights for the restaurant immediately turn off. <laughs> He's like, we are about to close. With nowhere else to go, he goes back to that house and rings the doorbell again. A voice inside asks who's there, and he replies that it's her brother. The door cracks open, and he smiles, but she doesn't. Mm. She opens the door and tells him to come in quickly, and he does. 
So Donna, played by Anna Massey, who is his sister in real life. Oh, shit. Which I thought was pretty cool. And you can tell. Yeah, you can totally like, tell. Yeah. I fell down like a rabbit hole on IMDb with a lot of these people that I've never heard mm-hmm. of and probably will never see in anything yeah. else again. But <laughs> this lady, it seems like she had a really hard life and that she was estranged from her whole family for a long time before this. I don't know. And then she reunited with Daniel and the rest is... And she lived happily ever after. Yes. I did read that Daniel Massey was an Oscar nominee. Oh, wow. In 1968, I believe it was a movie called Star. Have not seen it. No. (laughs) (laughs) But she quickly locks the door behind him and she's like, well, you finally found me. And he looks very pleased with himself. Mm -hmm. He tells her that it's been a long time. She asks him what he wants and he tells her that he just came to see her because she's his sister and everything is fucking weird. <laughs> like, this is not how me and you talk to each no. other. No, it's a little, it's very standoffish. It's strange. And clearly an ulterior motive is yeah. being hatched. Something. I don't know. It's an egg. He, it's, the situation is an egg. It's an egg. He asks her why everyone is afraid of the dark here and she answers quickly because of them. She says there's been 17 cases so far of bodies being found with every drop of blood drained from them. <laughs> She's like, no, nah, but for real, why are you yeah. here? I'm yeah. like, no, can we talk about yeah. the bodies for a little bit longer? <laughs> Go back, like literally drain yeah. <laughs> <laughs> every drop. That's a bad, that's bad. But he tells her that their father died a month ago and he's been looking for her since because she is his heir, heiress, but... He says that she was the favorite after all. He left everything to her for as long as she (laughs) lives. (laughs) Not one to draw things out. Rogers immediately pulls out a knife and holds it up. First of all, you dramatic son of a bitch. (laughs) He He, like flips the switchblade. The thing to me is that he didn't even let that moment breathe. No. He's like, look. For as long as you live. I I heard shit goes crazy in the dark, so I got to kill you real fast. (laughs) And then I will be staying the night here. And I'm also starving. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He didn't didn't get to eat. (laughs) But Donna tries to back away from him, but her brother pins her to the wall and stabs her until she's dead. He just tosses her aside onto the couch when he's finished with the knife still sticking out of her chest. Mm hmm. He cleans his hands, puts on his coat, has the audacity to steal one of her flowers and put it in his lapel before going out into the night. So he cleans his hands, but that's all he cleans. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, bye. I don't know what forensics were like in the 70s. <laughs> I don't know if there were forensics in the 70s. I don't think he's concerned. No. He's like, all this money, I'll buy my way out of whatever <laughs> yeah. trouble I get into. There are two legal systems. <laughs> yeah, that turned quick. I was like, God yeah. damn. Like you mm-hmm. said, he didn't even wait a second. He just... It was like, all right, now you die. <laughs> this, yeah. This is not the reunion I hoped for. Yeah. <laughs> hey, sister. Blah. It's horrible. <laughs> but once he gets outside, he's just like laughing in triumph to himself. Well, he's taking all the money. Yeah. We're in the money. <laughs> <laughs> Until he sees that the light in the restaurant is back on and there are people going inside. He's like, those sons of <laughs> bitches. He's about to write a one star review on Yelp. Yeah. He wants to speak to the manager. <laughs> so he goes over and lets himself in again. The dining room now is almost full with people talking and eating. He hangs up his coat again and seats himself. Another server played by Gerald Wells comes up and reads off the courses to him. And Rogers is like, sounds great. But the server comes back with the drink and Rogers like, oh, tomato juice. Yeah. He's like, okay. He yeah. looks at him like he's stupid. The dude's like, is that a joke? Yeah. Just lets it but- <laughs> sit in the air. But the server looks confused and then Rogers looks confused after he takes a drink of his tomato juice. 
The server comes back with a bowl of soup and clears away the drink. And <laughs> Rogers tastes the soup. And when he comments that it tastes strange, the server's like, this is the same shit we have yeah. every day. Okay. First of all, he keeps eating it. Number one. Yeah. I guess he was hungry. <laughs> But number two, and this isn't to spoil anything, but that looks just like blood. Yeah. <laughs> and I know, I know blood soup is a very common dish, I believe, in Eastern Europe, as well as uh, parts of Asia. So honestly, this is just very insensitive on Roger's part that he's... <laughs> Get it together, Roger. God. Culturally ignorant. <laughs> but the server asked how he would like his clots cooked. And when Roger asked for, <laughs> for clarification, he gets it clots blood clots so then rogers does a spit take i yeah. i love the confusion of the waiter he's like dude we serve this shit every yeah. night Are you fucking what stupid? the fuck is your problem wouldn't he know though everybody else knew he was a stranger that's well, true yeah that is true unless, no i got no unless that's yeah. true <laughs> well i think the thing that i enjoyed is the fact that they switched out the waiters no yeah yeah i thought that was great because it's not like no he's not pulling a double is that yeah. dude <laughs> <laughs> that dude goes home when it's dark. He's off for the night. Or mm-hmm. he's I don't think he went home because we see him again later. Well, we'll talk about that. <laughs> he's just not on the clock. No, yeah. he's clocked out. But disgusted, Rogers pushes himself away from the table and stands up, but the server pushes him back down into his seat. The server immediately goes over and opens a curtain that reveals a wall covered by a huge mirror, and Rogers is the only reflection to be seen. I love this. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. I was genuinely. I love love that they have this system of checks and balances in place. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they want to make sure. I mean, you don't know how many times Van Helsing has come to this town. (laughs) When you just eat with it open, though? Yeah. Or are people sad to know that they don't have a reflection? Yeah. I would just be sad. I'm like, yeah, the walls are still red. I mean, I don't know shit. (laughs) I do love the in-camera tricks to achieve that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know that they don't, they don't, there's no green screen. Oh, no. It's 1973. Yeah. So it's just very impressive to me. No, and it it looks good. And it was funny because he opened the drapes almost like, let me show you how bad you fucked <laughs> <Yeah>. up. <laughs> well, if he would have minded his own business yeah. instead of going back me, over there. Even, you know, take out vampires out of the equation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I try to eat somewhere and they're like, oh, no, sorry, we're closed. And then I leave. They turn the lights off. And when they think I'm gone, they turn it back on yeah. and start partying. I don't want to eat there. No. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just the audacity there's a reason you don't want me here right yeah <laughs> i'm just weird whatever it is is none of my business yes. but i'm not going back i will gladly we'll hit a mcdonald's like i don't know what else <laughs> to tell you but everyone just stares at him until he looks into the mirror and finally realizes what's happening two men go to close the drapes on the windows and the rest eagerly approach rogers they're like oh we're finna yeah. get this bitch <laughs> finally donna walks in the sister that yeah. he just killed. Mm-hmm. He screams in horror and smiling. Donna holds up his switchblade and switches it on. Like, you remember this? Yeah. She she switches it on like, you know what it is, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> she tosses it aside and the rest of the vampires grab Rogers. The music swells as Donna smiles and slowly walks over to him. But suddenly, and I I thought this transition was really cool Uh because suddenly everyone around her is drinking from glasses. And Mm -hmm. all right. Well, we got to talk about the face. Yes, we do. (laughs) Yes, we do. They were bad. But <laughs> She's like, much rougher than the frozen yeah. chunk because she can't yeah, open she it. Can't speak. <laughs> it's like you couldn't pipe it in later. God damn. I did point out mom has always said 
they clearly had the budget for one, one set, set of legs. Because yeah. Donna's look good. They look great. <laughs> but everyone else has like the plastic fork. Yeah. <laughs> like you did when you were a kid. It kills me every time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, one lady struggling to keep her mouth closed says that this is so much better than that frozen stuff. We now see that they have <laughs> frozen stuff. So they've got a system. I guess. <laughs> well, I guess if they drained the bodies completely of blood, they got a surplus, and every night they just unfreeze it. And yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, so my seven, question, seventeen people. Yeah, my question though is like, <laughs> are they preparing the blood differently, or is the blood in the glass and they call it one thing, and then they put blood in a bowl and they call it something else, and they put blood <laughs> on a plate and they call it so- well, like it was all just blood. In the comic, it was a very nice blood cocktail. Right. And then it was blood consomme. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Different seasoning. I was going to say, so. can I get a little seasoning? Uh, or Basil? Or- <laughs> <laughs> Do you make it like tomato soup? Is that why he was so confused? I don't know. But Donna asked for a glass too and laughed, showing off her good fangs. They're great. We see that Rogers is upside down and being tapped like a keg by his neck by the older server who was like, I'll clock back in for this shit. (laughs) He writhes in agony as they fill glass after glass with his blood. There's like a jarring 1970s cut during this sequence, but I don't count it against it because I just love it so much. Yeah. Like it feels of the time Mm -hmm. and it like takes you back. To when you were in the 70s? I don't know what you're talking about. But whenever his sister came up with the actual good-looking fangs, yeah. I was like, "So you're the head vampire?" Yeah, yeah. I don't. <laughs> yeah. So how long? So she moved here and already became the leader, or did she I move guess. here and start all the other vampires? Maybe she's always been a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> he said it's been a long time. He only came to find her because she was left the money. Hmm. So maybe yeah, he did say that we've been apart for a long time. You don't know what I've been up to. Didn't been doing vampire shit. <laughs> it's very specific. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what did y'all think of Midnight Mess? This one was all right. The teeth kind of threw me off. <laughs> uh, no, listen, I will defend. I'll. This is a hill dying movie for me. Yeah. Those fangs are fucking hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when he killed his sister, I was like, oh, shit. I yeah. was like, OK, all right. And then he gave the whole, re- you know, his whole little reason why and whatnot. And I was like, all right, well, fuck, there's motive right there. I mean, he's very clear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what it is. But he didn't have to go back to the fucking restaurant. No, nope. no, he did not. And nope. then, like you said, they he had all those warnings. Mm-hmm. And he still was just like, I don't give a shit. Yeah. I think that's what I like about this one a lot is that it, it's such an... Here's okay. Here's the thing that's very funny to me is that because I I went back and I found these online to read mm-hmm. and see what the differences were between the stories and everything. You'll have to send them to me because I would love to read these. <laughs> it's interesting because this story they much like really all of them here, right? Mm-hmm. They do what we love best, which is they improved on them. Oh well. And so when I think of EC Comics, I think of people like getting their comeuppance, some kind of tragic irony. And this has that. Yeah. But the original story does not. Really? What happened? Tell me. In the original story, there's no inheritance angle. So he just kills his sister? Well, he doesn't kill her. All right. He is literally going to this town because he hasn't seen his sister in a long time. And when she asks, like, what's the deal? He's like, oh, I just haven't seen you in a while. So he was go- just going through town and he found her. <laughs> that was it. So there's no so why'd she kill there's him? no motive there. I don't want to feel bad been... for Rogers. No. It's a piece yeah. of shit. Well, 
the thing is, is that he's not a piece of shit in the comic. Yeah. He never killed a PI because there was no PI. <laughs> right. So it's like they just gave it so much more weight and character. Yeah. They're like, no, we got to yeah. make him a piece of shit. Because literally in the comic, a dude hasn't seen his sister in a while. So he goes to visit her. He goes to a restaurant and, and they, she murks him. they eat him and she helps murk him. Oh. He's like, oh, by the way, I'm actually also a vampire. Uh. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm the head vampire. Yeah. I love that the main character is not good yeah because you like to watch them get their comeuppance that's something that i think creep show perfected oh absolutely and like i always say i love a good revenge story and that's yeah it's yeah here. you love to see yeah. people get what's coming to them whether it's good or bad mm-hmm. but back in the sub basement rogers sums it up by saying that it's more than a recurring dream it's like it's with him all the time critchett asks him if he has a sister and he says no he doesn't so i'm like what <laughs> Rogers asks more what his dream is, but more defers to Critchett asking him to go first. Moore's like, no, mine's the strongest <laughs> one. We gotta save him last. <laughs> A little too honest there. <laughs> when Critchett doesn't know what he means, he lays it out. What's his phobia, his obsession, his fear, whatever he wants to call it. Critchett concedes that his dream is a very peculiar one indeed, but it's just so real. So now we start the neat job. We're in a restaurant and... Critchett sits with Wilson, played by John Forbes Robertson, and tells him that congratulations are in order because he's getting married. It's like, okay. <laughs> Wilson is like, at your age, his friend is a dick. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a real Yoshikawa. He's like, you? <laughs> Who would Who ever? <laughs> but Critchett says he's marrying the daughter of a friend of theirs, and Wilson's like, little Eleanor? But Critchett says she's not little now. She's grown up and charming. Ew. Very. But Wilson asks, then why is she marrying him? <laughs> See, again. God damn. Yeah. It's like she's seen you, right? Right. Critchett is like, well, actually, I'm a catch and very easy to get along with. Now, I'm not familiar with Terry Thomas, the man that plays Critchett, mm-hmm. but I read that he was a comedian and it very much shines through to me in oh, this yeah. one. Absolutely. It's like, yeah, he is. Yeah. <laughs> because I think his it's his reactions to things are so yeah. like overblown. It's, it's, and- yeah. It's yes. fucking hilarious, it really if I'm going to just put it bluntly. But we cut to Critchett at home, pouring himself a drink and blasting his classical music. As he picks up his glass, he dabs the spot where it sat with the handkerchief. And so it's like, all right, dude. <laughs> he sits down and reaches for his magazine, but he sees that the magazines are now neatly across the room. He calls for Eleanor, played by Glennis Johns, and immediately chastises her for moving it, which she did because she thought it would look better, and he can't deny that it does. But he's still not trying to hear it. He can't get over it. He's like, you know what? It doesn't matter. Yeah. He's (laughs) like, you've moved the furniture. He's fucking pissed. I will say, after seeing Eleanor, I was interested to see what their age difference was. Yes. Because he made it seem like she was like an 18-year-old yeah, girl. Yeah, that's why yeah. I was like fucking gross. That's why I thought it was disgusting. No. But I looked it up and Terry Thomas was 62. Uh-huh. And the actress who played Eleanor was 50. Well. So I'm like, wait, so your chum not- was 12? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so confused. When did he have her? <laughs> well, he didn't have her. When did he help make her? Yeah. Help make her? I'm trying to. It's a PG show. <laughs> Watch your fucking Is mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But Critchett tells her there's a place for everything and everything in its place. That's how businesses are run. It's how society is run. And it's how a home should be run. She concedes with a yes, Arthur, and goes to move the magazine rack back. Aren't are you like, man, I'm really fucking happy I married yeah. this dude. 
Well, there, I mean, there was no, I've been at work all day. It's nice to see you, honey. He was no. just like, why'd you bring a fucking magazine? Uh, yeah, he freaked out like <laughs> immediately. It was bad. But one thing I will say in, in conjunction with you saying that he was a comedian is this one, I was like, okay, so this is going to be like a mismatch, mismatch yeah. sitcom. Yeah. And I'm here for it. Yeah. But the next morning, Eleanor is asleep as Critchett showers. She wakes up when he walks into the room and he is actually nice. He tells her good morning, but he does so while he's blindly reaching into the drawer, pulling out underwear and pulling them on. She looks worried, but doesn't say anything until he looks down to see that he's wearing her underwear. Didn't they feel different? I was going to yeah. say the same thing. I feel like I would have noticed before they were fully on. I mean, yeah. He was fully clothed and he's like, my what? Yeah. <laughs> But she says she moved his things to his side of the bed because it makes more sense. And it does. It does. But he is appalled. His underwear have always been in the second drawer on the left, neatly folded. He's like, come with me to the basement. Yeah. And this is another thing throughout this whole thing. He talks to her like she's fucking yeah. three years old. It's very uncomfortable. Yes. In the basement, his workshop, he explains that he keeps everything neat in its same spot every time. He shows her the jars in which he's organized his nails and screws, telling her that he doesn't even have to look. He can just reach out and grab what he needs. But again, talking to her like a child, he's like, this is the value of neatness. Yeah. I'd be like, who the fuck do you think you're talking She's to? like, I am 50 years old. <laughs> <laughs> But the look on her face is one of, I've made a huge mistake. But she just responds with, yes, Arthur. I did think it was funny that she got out of bed and she's full regalia. Like yes. she is, yeah. <laughs> was not in any kind of pajamas. It's like sleeping in a tuxedo. I was very <laughs> confused. Yeah, no, her pajamas were nicer than my clothes. Yeah. So I was like, okay, Eleanor. I, I thought the same thing. I was like, she just had her clothes on. Yeah. She didn't even change. I would leave the house in that. Yes. <laughs> I've left the house and worse. <laughs> but we cut to her sitting with her friend Jane, played by Mariana Stone, who plainly asks her why she even married Critchett. And Eleanor is honest. Her dad was broke and she has no skills or career. So what was she supposed to do? She says he's nice, except for the fact that there's nothing she can do for him besides keeping the house tidy. I would have liked to have been on a, a fly on the wall during this conversation to where they even got together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Was there ever a discussion? I don't, I don't, I don't know. Because it's like they've never been in the same room together yeah. until right she's now. She's having to learn everything but I'm that he's yeah. like, about. I didn't even the, think about that. In the seventies, people shacked up, right? But I guess not people like Critchett. Like I can't imagine. And if you know anybody who didn't do this, I don't. Whatever. That's it's preference. But I could never marry somebody and not live with them first, right? Because oh my god, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole different thing when you live with somebody. You could think everything's pizza yeah. and then, you know, you can't stand the way he, anything, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, from three to five, I often fart Scream. uncontrollably. <laughs> so you're just going to have to get used to that. You're like, well, maybe we should have lived together first. <laughs> <laughs> this was a mistake. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of farting, though. <laughs> it's like, are you okay, man? You're just a husk. <laughs> But back at the house, Arthur dusts his turntable with a little bulb filled with air before starting the record and listening intently before adjusting his levels. This was a beautiful record player. <laughs> I just had to point that out. <laughs> I did think there was going to be more in play with him with the levels. Yeah, I know. Definitely. I was like, she's going to fuck him up. Like, I, that's yeah. exactly what I thought. I thought he was going to be all Ordell Roby about it. <laughs> Don't mess with my levels. <laughs> Don't now. do it. But it literally never nothing. 
No, but I feel like we're seeing even more like he's alone and he's the one doing it. And he's still mm-hmm. like, no, it's not. You know, we got to make it perfect. So even to him, he's fucking up. I yeah. mean, but Eleanor walks in and he tells her just to sit down and relax. He'll make dinner. And I'm like, finally, you know, <laughs> he says it's about time that he shows her what an excellent cook he is. He describes the spaghetti he's going to make before going into the kitchen. But instead of relaxing, Eleanor looks anxious. And just the way he describes it and clicks his teeth together yeah. was hilarious <laughs> to me. But in the kitchen, Critchett is cooking and searching around for the tomato sauce. He screams at Eleanor, who is just sitting down and reading a magazine in the living room, finally relaxing. <laughs> but she jumps up startled and rushes over. He tells her there's no tomato sauce or puree or spaghetti sauce. She admits that she must have forgotten. And he yells at her that that's no excuse. It just makes me laugh. I don't think this man likes to use his eyes because yeah. he's just reaching in blindly into the <laughs> thing. It's like, well, we all know where the tomato sauce is. What the? That's a There's jelly donut. <laughs> he's, wearing a, he's wearing yeah. a jelly donut. <laughs> but he instructs her again like a child to go over to him by the cabinet. And she does. He explains it on the inside of the cupboard. There's written everything that goes inside with three lines next to it. When you use one of something, you erase the line and then you know to buy another one. There are two lines gone for tomato puree and there's none. And there are three lines gone for tomato sauce and there's also none. He slams the cabinet closed and walks away. But this causes stuff to fall out and he just turns around at her angrily. (laughs) I thought he scared himself. I was like, like, you did that. (laughs) But Eleanor's crying, but he just glares at her, shakes his head, and storms off. Now, I I will say, I know that Critchett is very over the top, but that was a good system. I was, yeah. <laughs> was going to say the exact same yeah. thing. I was like, because part of me was like, God damn, you know, in that moment when she's crying, he should have apologized before dramatically shuddering off like he did. But at the Shuttering. same time a pretty damn good system yeah, I was like i might have to implement like that. so if we get a whiteboard and tack it to the <laughs> it's not bad i was like i'm mad that i appreciate that as yeah. much as i do it's i mean sometimes bad people are right i mean it's just it's a part of being a grown-up i guess in the morning critchett comes downstairs to find that eleanor has made breakfast and done the shopping to his specifications he inspects the cupboard and even his spoon before eating but he deems it all correct and he is pleased. I thought he was even more of an asshole because he opened it up the cupboard and he yeah. was like, all correct. I was like, she's that, right oh there. Oh my God, dude. dude. Like what I a c- dick. I couldn't be me. <laughs> Later, Eleanor walks around the house with a drink. She absently sets it on the table for a moment, but when she picks it back up, there's condensation on the table. She almost sets the glass down again in her panic, but remembers to go grab a coaster. She drops coasters on the floor in her rush before grabbing one and putting her glass on it. (laughs) She looks anxiously at the clock and sees that it's only about 10 minutes before Critchett is due home. She stops her record, scratching it before scrambling to put all the records back away neatly and placing the lid over the record player. This is when I'm like, she's going to fuck with the levels. But exactly. No. She dashes around and knocks over the little bucket of ice on the bar and stops to pick up the mess. She runs into the kitchen and dumps the ice into the sink before going down to the basement to find wood polish and a towel. I do want to point out very quickly. It's just the thing that made me laugh. Before he leaves, he was like, I have to work late, so I'll be back at six. Yeah. And then whenever she looks at the clock, she's like, he'll be back at six. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, that was literally the last we line just, spoken. <laughs> we were just told that. It makes me laugh every time. 
But she comes back into the living room with her supplies and stops to pick up the standing lamp that she knocked over and she picks up the coasters. She goes to the table and starts scrubbing at the ring, but accidentally (laughs) kicks over the bottle of polish, making it spill onto the rug. And she looks at it in horror. So this is some Lucille Ball shit. I yes, (laughs) I knew somebody was going to bring that up. But this is something I could literally see me doing. And John Paul can attest (laughs) to how fucking clumsy I am. I could literally see me doing all of this. I could too, but no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) The thing about it was I found it very relatable for me because she's trying so hard but stays fucking up. She's only making it worse. And I'm like, you're doing your best. (laughs) I can relate to that. All you had was a little ring on the table and now look at you. Yeah, it was. I like the fireplace. Oh, yeah. Um, Yes. But that was a bit much. I was like, you're kicking shit over and... Knocking shit off the walls. Like, come on. It was just a comedy of errors. Yeah. It was. But she picks up the bottle she kicked over and starts blotting it and wiping at the mess before giving up and just pulling the rug over it, which I'm like, same Smart. sister. Yeah. I would have yeah. done the same thing. Never move that rug. No. She turns off the record player and straightens the magazines on her way back to the basement. We see that Critchett will now be home in five minutes. So she just stayed fucking up for five, yeah. <laughs> for five straight, straight minutes. Straight minutes. <laughs> She turns around to make sure the living room is picked up, but while walking backwards, she bumps into the wall and falls, and the picture hanging there crashes down. She tries to put it back up, but the nail has been ripped from the wall, taking some of the wallpaper with it, and she just props up the picture and runs back down to the basement. But here in the basement, (laughs) she literally wrecks his shop in her quest for a hammer and the appropriate nail. And the music is fucking frantic, (laughs) only adding to everything. It's like everything she touches, the whole fucking wall falls down. It's fucking hilarious because (laughs) like after she kind of topples everything over and everything, she gets the nail she wants, but then she shoves one of the things of nails off. It's like (laughs) she just stopped caring. It's like, look, it's already fucked up anyway. It's already bad. Forget it. She's like, I can at least put the picture back. Yeah. But she rushes to the stairs and looks back at the mess she made in the basement. But suddenly Critchett is on the stairs calling her name. He looks in horror at his workshop. Now, if he was mad about puree, you can only imagine how he (laughs) feels about this. He yells at her for ruining his entire house. He keeps repeating, can't you do anything neatly? Can't you? Can't you do anything neatly? And Eleanor fucking snaps. Mm -hmm. She screams and brings the hammer down on Critchett's head and it stays lodged in his forehead as he falls backwards. It's a nice little freeze frame it does too. Yeah. We cut to Eleanor standing proudly in the basement saying, there, Arthur, you said I couldn't be neat, but I was. She says she cleaned everything up after she finished, everything in its place and a place for everything. She laughs as we pan to see what she's marveling at. Jars, neatly labeled, display Critchett's body parts on the shelf in his basement. She's fucking cackling. (laughs) (laughs) She's having the time of her life. And we see his distinctive teeth in a jar next to his eyes in another jar. And then we zoom in on two. Now, I don't know why we zoomed in. I would have zoomed in on the teeth and the eyes. Yeah. But yeah. We zoom in on two labeled neck bones and odds and ends. <laughs> I thought yeah. I thought the teeth were going to get uh, top billing. Well, they, look because, just like his, they look just yeah. like his teeth. And it's a very defining thing. Yeah. For him. Dude, even I went to his Wikipedia page and they said he's a snappy dresser and he's known well he passed away but mm-hmm. and he was known for his gap, in, gap his teeth. in his teeth and they yeah. measured the gap they said how much the gap oh, was nice. on wikipedia so i mean it's a character so, thing. yeah show the teeth yeah but i'm like neck bones, neck bones I say. 
<laughs> I thought that I even wrote that down. I was like, neck bones. What the fuck? <laughs> but what did y'all think of the neat job? Um, that was bonkers. <laughs> uh, I I did enjoy it. I feel like you mentioned earlier there was a little overacting on his part, <laughs> but it made it good. It yeah. wasn't it for did. me. Yeah. And I didn't even I I thought the same thing. I was like, the guy's got to be a comedian yeah. or something because it's too good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, you're over the top, but it's not to me anyway. It wasn't like silly to where I was like, hey, get the fuck out of here. Not, it wasn't mm. too but much. Yeah. It was, just it was like, holy shit. He's for real freaking out, you know, <laughs> um, but I did enjoy it. The uh, neck bone and bits was a <laughs> little interesting yeah. choice. I I love this one. Yeah, it's not my favorite one, but it's close. It's my second favorite for yeah. sure. Yeah, I just think. I mean, first of all, it's kind of funny as hell. It is. If we're being honest <laughs> with each other, I think that it's interesting that they added. Okay, in the comic, there is no wrinkle about the age difference. Okay. So I thought it was odd that they added that, but then they have people paying, playing 12 years apart. Uh, yeah. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe because she's like really pretty. They were, I don't know. I don't know. They're like, look, we know he's not the best. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But I feel like, I don't know. It just worked really well for me. And I'm usually, whenever it comes to the anthologies, like the funnier segments are usually my least favorite ones. Yeah. I just think that this one was so well acted. It's that it, perfect. It's just great. Yeah. It's just great. I love this one. Like I said, it's my second favorite. I don't think I would change anything about it. Like <laughs> every line is perfect. His like over the top, but not too over the top. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. it's I love it. I feel like we're getting to kind of a pattern here of the stories being there's no fat to trim. Yeah. No. Like they are to the point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because like even when we go somewhere else, like she's in the restaurant with her friend, we get two lines there and then we're back at the house. Yeah. Like there's no and the runtime of this is so short. Like you said, they left no fat. Like no. it's all necessary. Yeah. And I thought it was good to have that scene in particular. Yeah. Because I'm like, why the fuck are you with this yeah. dude? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting mad. Please explain. Yeah. But back in the sub basement, Moore lights a cigarette and asks Critchett if he's tidy now. And Critchett <laughs> replies, no more than anyone else. It's like, okay. That was a pretty snarky. Yeah. <laughs> so how about now? Yeah. But he says it all felt so real. Sebastian speaks up that he knows the feeling because he's had an awfully weird one lately. And then we go to this trick will kill you. We're in India with Sebastian and his wife Inez, played by Don Adams. They're wandering around the outdoor market and seeing the sights when they see Fakir, played by Ishak Bucks, performing a trick for the crowd. He takes out a basket that is shown to be empty. A little boy comes out and he blesses him for God to protect him from danger before picking him up and placing him inside the basket. (laughs) He closes and locks it and is handed a sword by his assistant, played by Jasmina Hilton. He says a prayer for the boy before plunging the sword through the basket and pulling it back out now with blood smeared on it. I gotta be honest with you, man. I've <laughs> I've seen this a million times. Yeah. But when I saw it came come out red, I gasped. <laughs> As the kids say, I was shook. Like that. I just killed that boy. I would have, and if I was in the crowd, I probably would have fainted. 
I'm gonna be honest with you, man. I I wasn't expecting that. No, it's I like, thought. Oh shit! Yeah, because usually it goes in, comes out clean. clean exactly. It really does. I, was like, I was like, okay, what what's the catch now? Yeah, is a twist on an old yeah. trick. I was like, like, oh murdered shit! Murdered this child. Yeah, <laughs> man. <laughs> imagine how fucking awful this trick would be if the trick is just the dead. Kid. Yeah. Like ta da. <laughs> But he plunges it in again at another angle before handing it back to his assistant and opening the basket. The boy stands up unharmed and Fakir praises the gods for the mystic miracle. The crowd applauds. He now takes out a knife and a display on the human body's ability to withstand pain through their mind. He seemingly inserts the knife through one cheek and out the other. A man from the crowd cries out that this is a trick. And I don't know why they're speaking English, but that's a great point. With, <laughs> with a piece of the knife through his mouth, Fakir says that it's not. Sebastian's fucking ass takes it upon himself to approach and tell the crowd that the real knife is in Fakir's sleeve. He proves this by pulling the knife out himself. And Fakir just lets it happen. He does. Which I would have fucking pushed his ass back <laughs> yeah, in the crowd. But this is how he makes his living. Yeah, like, dude. Yeah. Who are you? Like, sit your ass down. Yeah, he didn't need to do that. No. no. First of all, it's a trick. Of course yeah. it is. <laughs> no, he, he really, really just yeah. murked that child. <laughs> and he stabbed himself in the mouth. And also, um, I'm sorry, but giving away the tricks, you're going to be thrown out of the Alliance of Magicians. Absolutely. Whether you wear a mask or not. <laughs> but... He then flips the basket over to reveal a door in the back for the child to escape out of. And he proclaims that it's all tricks, no gods and no supernatural powers or yoga. And the crowd laughs. He pulls the sides of the fake knife from Fakir's face and Fakir just spits the middle piece into Sebastian's hand, just defeated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I understand that there was a side hatch for the basket. Yeah. But when did the kid escape? <laughs> <laughs> we were watching that goddamn basket the whole time. This dude is a great magician. No, that's yeah. where they pull out the dead kid and put oh, in another put kid. In <laughs> <laughs> but Sebastian- it's not so much magic as it is tragic. <laughs> it's a tragedy. Wow. Sebastian speaks from experience as a fellow magician and then leaves and Fakir looks very unhappy. So as a fellow magician, he should know better. He should, but then yeah. to be blown up his spot. Yeah, yeah he should. But they arrive back at their hotel room and Sebastian immediately explains that it's hot. And Inez is like, you wanted to be here to see the land of mystic mystery. Now we've seen it. Let's go the fuck home. (laughs) She says there's no mysteries to be seen. They haven't even found a new trick for their act. But Sebastian insists that they give it another day or two. The next day, they're making the rounds again. And Sebastian comes into an alley where the assistant from the act yesterday is playing a flute and not a traditional flute. But I don't know what else to call it. It's a... I got nothing. (laughs) It's a recorder. There you go, yeah. I don't know. We'll call it a flute. (laughs) She played hot cross buns. (laughs) (laughs) But as she plays, a rope starts rising out of the basket in front of her. Finally, she gives him a look before setting the flute down and climbing the rope. And Sebastian is like, as you said, shook. (laughs) He's doing the... Where he rubs his eyes. Like, what the fuck? But the woman climbs back down and claps, causing the rope to fall back into the basket. Sebastian grabs at the rope once it's all the way inside, and she invites him to investigate. He pulls the rope out and confirms that it's just a rope. He investigates the basket, and it's just a basket. Finally, he asks her how much she wants for the trick, but she tells him it's not a trick. The magic is in the rope. He's like, then let me buy the rope. (laughs) wouldn't you think that after you just fucking shamed their asses yeah. yes. I, I assumed that was either her father or something, something like that yeah. 
but you really think that she's going to be open to even selling you this yeah. trick? There would be... Yeah, you ruined our business. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, fuck off. Here, take more from us. Yeah. But she says she can't do that. It's been passed down in her family for generations. He offers her 4,000 rupees, which is like, I looked it up, $538.93 in today money. Yeah. So I feel like it's worth more than that, but... Well, it, it had him shook. I'd yeah. probably yeah. pay more than that. She tells him definitively that it's not for sale at any price. And he leaves in what I can only call a huff. <laughs> He's fucking <laughs> not used to be being told no. No. Back at the hotel room, Sebastian angrily tells Inez that he knows it's a trick, but he couldn't figure it out. And if he couldn't figure it out, then no one else will be able to. So we cut back to the alley. Like, we're <laughs> yeah. again, <it's> just <laughs> Dude, no fat at all. We're here long enough to get the story told and then we're back. <laughs> we had one day in India. Yes. They didn't film this in India, no. <laughs> by the way. I just wanted you to know that. <laughs> but I read, again, I went down these weird rabbit holes. The woman that plays Inez grew up in India. Interesting. Oh. And I think Calcutta. Isn't that hmm. weird? But anyway, Sebastian comes back to the alley to tell the woman that he told Inez about the magic and now she wants to see it. But the thing is, like, she's sick. So can she just come to the hotel room? Come on, Sebastian. Very suspicious. But the woman says no, but Sebastian offers her 200 rupees just to come and show her, and the woman reluctantly agrees. Um, I'm sorry, what happened to the 4,000 rupees? That was for the trick. Well, if I didn't budge for that, you're going to give me substantially less to even... That's bullshit. It is. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. I wouldn't go for that. (laughs) (laughs) But back in the room, Inez is making herself a drink and like just enjoying herself. (laughs) She's happy as fuck. But when there's a knock at the door, she tells them to give her a moment and rushes into bed and is like, come in. Like she's (laughs) fucking sick. She's not sick. No. But they come inside and the woman is even like, I'm sorry you don't feel well. Which like you guys are fucking awful. I thought they were just bringing her here to see the trick closer. Me too. Yeah. But hold on. (laughs) She promptly sits down and begins to play, and we see Sebastian slyly lock the door to the hotel room. The rope slowly begins to rise, and Sebastian is checking it out from every angle, but finally he comes up behind the woman and just fucking stabs her in the back. Now she turns her body to the camera so you can see how cool it looks. (laughs) I thought that was kind of funny, but this is... It's out a lot. Line, it's man. a lot. Yeah, I, I, I honestly, because I didn't see that coming. No, no. I thought like he was gonna hit her with like a vase or some shit. <laughs> but no, he, yeah, he no, stabbed like, We're the shit out of her. We're like with her. the sword. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Couldn't have it just been a knife? It no, was like, no. no. It had, it went all the way <laughs> <Yeah>. through. <laughs> but she cries out and falls to the ground, and Inez is just like, mm-hmm. she's just watching. Sebastian grabs the woman's body and tosses her into the closet before going back to inspect the trick. He reminds Inez that the woman told him that the magic is in the rope, but Inez says there's no wires or anything inside. Can we talk about how they thought they could just murk this girl with no consequence and just steal her trick? And that they would know what to do. Yeah. Like you couldn't you she already don't know what it is. Tell you. I, I can't. The magic is in the rope. Okay, let's cut the rope open and it'll tell yeah. us. No. <laughs> That's not how it works. Not at all. For a rope. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> But Sebastian picks up the flute and begins to play. And I'm like, if he plays it perfect, I'm going to be pissed off. (laughs) He plays it better than her. It's like, what the fuck? (laughs) The rope begins to rise, but it pauses each time that Sebastian stops playing. Once the rope has reached the ceiling, Inez is amazed. She's like, it holds me. She's like (laughs) fucking into it, dude. And she's dramatic. Like she'll be in their act when they take it back home. And she starts climbing the rope up to the ceiling. 
But this bitch's happiness is short lived. However, (laughs) as we get a shot from the ceiling, she looks up at us and screams in horror. Suddenly she just fucking disappears. (laughs) Yeah, I I was confused. (laughs) I gotta gotta be honest. I did not see that. coming. (laughs) No, not at at all. Sebastian screams for his wife and the rope continues just hanging innocently. But above it, a pool of blood begins to appear on the ceiling. And I thought it looked really cool. I really love that shot. Yeah. It just piece by piece starts. The rope falls to the floor before striking out at him like a snake. (laughs) It strikes him, slapping his ass just across the room and keeping him from leaving (laughs) out the door. He finally is pushed against the closet and the woman's body spills out and she looks up at him with lifeless eyes. As he turns to look at her, the rope is like, gotcha, bitch, and wraps around his throat. The distraction. Yeah. And then we get another shot of the woman just staring up at him. So I will say I did see the wire on the rope during the sequence. I don't give a fuck. (laughs) (laughs) It's so cool. And I love it. But we cut to Fakir back at it again with the basket and praying over the little boy. Isn't anybody like, this isn't real? Yeah. Yeah. We just saw this yesterday. But (laughs) we hear the flute's music and Fakir turns around to see Sebastian clearly through the hotel window, hanging from the ceiling of his hotel room. I don't know how nobody else sees this. He turns back and we see that the flute music is being played by the woman who is alive and well. Okay, so what I was thinking was at first I was like, oh my God, you know, her dad isn't very broken. Because whenever we show the trick that they're doing now, mm-hmm. I thought this was days later for yeah. some reason. It's like, wow, he's not really broken up about his daughter. But, oh my God, she's yeah. right there. <laughs> and then I wonder, maybe his fucking flute playing was bullshit and she was the one doing it the whole time from outside. Oh. And she sent in like a decoy. I don't know. I I don't can't, know. I can't, <laughs> that's the I, only part I can't explain. I think she's just magic. And that she just faked it. They were all really magic. They were all magic. Yeah. And you came in trying to throw salt and now fucking look at you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why don't you hang out over there for a little bit? Now your wife's peppered onto the ceiling. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the rope dances back and forth, still holding up Sebastian as she continues to play. So what did you guys think of this trick will kill you? Uh, it was all right. This one was all right. <laughs> I liked it. Um. Unlike you, since the video wasn't of good quality, I did not see the string. Okay. <laughs> so John Paul's like, how's that rope doing? Uh, <laughs> I hired just, a magic rope. Yeah, I just see this the rope whooping dude. Just I was no, like, it was whooping his ass. It he was. deserved it though. So I was like, oh, all right, but <laughs> yeah, her fucking rope. I get the thing, but like you said too, if she knows how to do the trick, you just killed her. Yeah. Well, How I guess you, that's like hubris. Like if she can do it, I can do it kind of a thing. He thought he could just figure it out. That's from, why he just fucking picks up the flute and starts. From <laughs> what? <laughs> the, in, the ingredients? He's like, we got all we need yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> I can make it. You're no, you're no chef, sir. No. <laughs> I enjoy this one. I enjoyed it more this time than ever before. Yeah. Because I feel like I may have tapped into some social commentary here. Go on. I don't think it is a mistake or an accident that an Englishman goes into India in an attempt to profit off of something they have no right to and I oop and commodify it. Yeah. And that's what he was doing. I mean, I'm I don't know if you're a student of history, but (laughs) (laughs) but I was like, oh shit. And the thing is is that I think that if I'm not mistaken, the story, like the original story was written in the States. Mm -hmm. So through making this film, the commentary is baked in because of British anthology right but i was like hmm i wonder if they did that on purpose i'll say yes all right (laughs) 
<laughs> but um, the story in the comic is way more gruesome. Really? Tell me. And also a little more racist because they do talk oh. shit about India while they're there. Oh, oh no. And they do it from like the first frame. And so you're like, oh, well, no. I can't wait till they're dead. <laughs> it's set in the scene. <laughs> yeah. That's another thing very quickly before you get into it. I uh, don't know if you ever watched that show a thousand. What was it? A thousand ways to die uh-huh. on Spike. Right. All the weird ways that they talked about people dying. The person was always a piece of shit <laughs> so that you wouldn't feel bad that they were dead. No sympathy. No. And I feel like we're really we're tapping into that here. because It's yeah. like a bye fucking Sebastian. Yeah. I don't give a, give a fuck. fuck about you, dude. And the funny thing is, I think the comic was way more like on the nose because there's something i forgot to mention in the first story with the vampires the first man the guy that materializes and talks to him yes he the first conversation no (laughs) (laughs) the first conversation he has is he's like well you better get out before sundown and he's like why he's like the vampires (laughs) in the comics so there's no unfolding there but no kind of the same thing here where you're just like oh so they're pieces of shit so they're gonna die clearly but whenever inez climbs up the rope she does disappear, but then all her body parts and blood rain down <gasps> oh, on him. Shit. And he's just like, ooh, and that's kind of what distracts him to get strangled because his wife's body is around him. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, that's kind of hard to do in it, the 70s not, in England. Not only is it hard to do, but there's something really scary about where the fuck did she go? Yeah. I think that's way scarier. Like, She's in some dimension. She's explode. with fucking Pinhead. Yeah, explode my body. I don't <laughs> You know, don't wanna, the Cenobites are like, th- you use the rope, we came. <laughs> but I mean, I think the other thing that is very interesting to me is that I like this ending where not only is the girl still alive, but yeah. she's just rocking out doing magic with her pops. Yeah. yeah. Rocking out. It's a flute. <laughs> but in the original comic, they say the, the vault keeper comes in and he's like, well, you know, they don't know where she went. Back to you, Crypt Keeper. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so she just disappeared. And she has no relation to that man. You see him, but they don't do tricks together or anything. Huh. So I like this version way better. They improved on it. Yeah. yeah. Why is the uh, gatekeeper a weather guy? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Back to you in the studio. Yeah. It's like we're broadcasting live from the vault. Um. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's humid down here. It's very. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love this one. Um, yeah, I did appreciate it more than ever, I think. Yeah. Because I, mean, I can't even say because. I don't know why. I just really liked it. I like... <laughs> Like I've said it a thousand times, you love to see revenge. Right. And this man really tried to take advantage of this woman and she or and her rope were like, oh, hell no. And <laughs> he fucking paid for it. And you see him and his wife because his wife was just down. Were they like, and if they don't want to give it to us when we go to India to find a trick, let's just kill him. Like they they were so quick to jump yeah. to let's just kill her and yeah. take the trick. In the comic, literally, they are prowling looking for tricks to steal yeah and then once they find the rope trick they go back to the hotel room and they're like okay we got to steal this shit but then they're like look and the wife is the one that says it she's like look if she doesn't want to give it to us we'll just kill her and he's like kill her she's like yeah like what she's else like, okay, can we do? yeah <laughs> so i mean that was their plan all along that's some shit it it comes through because they yeah. were not scared no i was expecting his wife to be like <gasps> she's like okay no fucking yeah. get the rope. i'm like what yeah. she's like then i'll climb it <laughs> uh, that's what i thought too i was like the wife didn't even no she was down she was down not at all i do um and she wasn't even nervous before they came no. just making a drink she's all fucking happy mama's cutting loose. <laughs> <laughs> at least prepare get into character but I like that two of the stories so far, it's it's about greed. Yeah, it is. And they get their comeuppance, and uh, I think that says a lot. Yeah. Some people should pay attention to that. Yep. 
But back in the sub basement, <laughs> Sebastian just stares wide eyed and horrified and Critchett tells him he looks like he's seen a ghost. Sebastian tells him there's no such thing as ghost except in magician's illusions. It's like, all right, you're working through something. <laughs> so is he not actually a magician? It's just a dream? Well, uh, Rogers was like, I don't have a sister. It's like, yeah. what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> but Maitland finally speaks up that he's been having a similar vision. It's similar, but not quite. So it's not similar at all. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit. So here we start bargain in death. We open up in a graveyard and we zoom in on a grave as Maitland tells us that it begins in a freshly dug grave. I was like, Ooh, we get narration. in this one. Love it. His grave though. Inside we see him light a match and we see that I guess he's been buried alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah. He asks how it happened and says that he remembers now. So we cut to a room. <laughs> I know exactly what happened. Okay, so he had a mission to kill Bill. Now, <laughs> <laughs> I was literally talking about Kill Bill last night. Mm-hmm. That's so funny. <laughs> but we cut to a room and Maitland shows his friend Alex, played by Edward Judd, pills that he can take that will slow his pulse and his heart rate to the point where even the best doctor will think he's dead. He also has pills that he's been taking to make it look like he's had a heart attack. He says it will be no trouble getting a death certificate, but it's up to Alex to make sure he's not buried for more than 24 hours (laughs) (laughs) after everyone thinks he's dead. He says all he has to do is dig him up and they can hide out in Alex's house while Alex collects the insurance money and then they're free and clear. So this seems solid, right, guys? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't see how this could go wrong at all. I don't think I've ever trusted anyone enough. (laughs) Yeah, no. (laughs) To do this for me. But Maitland ponders over his typewriter, saying that this would have made a great story, but he'd be lucky to get 50 pounds for it because there's no money in horror. And I was like, that was cheeky. Cheeky. Yeah. I literally wrote cheeky. (laughs) (laughs) It was. That's exactly what it was. But Alex leaves and Maitland goes back up to his room. He picks up his gun and muses that. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Muses that once Alex has collected the insurance money, he won't need him anymore. That killed me. You said that out loud. (laughs) That man's seat is still warm. Alex is like, I'm I'm in the hall. I was lighting a cigarette. I was waiting. So you're going to kill me? Wow. But we cut to Maitland lighting the match again in his grave and hearing him musing that it's the perfect plan. In the dark room back at Maitland's house, he injects himself with the medicine and slides the matches into his pocket. He then, So I'm like, was he buried in that outfit? <laughs> <laughs> like, and it goes down tonight. <laughs> he then sits and starts reading a Tales from the Crypt book and we zoom away and yeah. see that. <laughs> that's what he's reading that made me laugh the thing that made me laugh is that at the bottom it's first of all it's the poster for their film (laughs) it came out the year prior and at the bottom it says now a terrifying film (laughs) they're like go see Uh. it back at the grave we see maitland again and hear him reiterate the perfect plan except for one thing so we cut to a room and see two medical students Tom, played by Robin Nedwell, and Jerry, played by Jeffrey Davies. Yes, they're named Tom and Jerry. And they're studying and lamenting that they don't get enough time practicing in the dissection room. Tom says if only they had a body of their own that they could work on whenever they wanted to. I'm sure this is unrelated. Let's move on. Yeah, it's just a non sequitur. (laughs) Back at Maitland's home, the landlady knocks on his door and just lets herself in when he doesn't answer. She finds him seemingly dead in his chair and screams. 
Tom and Jerry come running. And I guess that this is like a like a boarding house mm-hmm. where everybody's renting out a room. The circumstance, like the luck that they live in the same building. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just want to point that out. But they inspect Maitland to find him dead. And Jerry looks at Tom like, huh? And Dude. Tom smiles. He's like, let's fuck him up, fam. Yeah. <laughs> Back at the graveyard, Tom and Jerry search through until they get the shit scared out of them by the grave digger played by Arthur Mullard. He promptly asks them if they have the money and they say they'll pay once they get the body. And it's like, oh shit, y'all are like doing this for real. (laughs) When he asks what they want the body for, Tom tells him that they're ghouls, but the grave digger's (laughs) like, well, he just gets back to (laughs) (laughs) work. I thought that was funny. It's like, no questions. Okay. Cool. I'm getting paid, right? Okay. Inside the grave, Maitland's match goes out as we... It's like, he's like, the air's giving out. Stop lighting your fucking matches, <laughs> yeah. dude. It's like, let me burn through these real quick. <laughs> nothing's changed. Dude, there, you can't see. There's nothing important here. There's no. There's nothing written on the inside how to get out. You're fucked. Yeah. Nothing has changed. But he begs Alex to hurry and the light goes out, leaving him in darkness. But we <laughs> we quickly cut to Alex's house and we see him laughing to himself. <laughs> laughing to himself while he's packing his bags back at the grave digger tom gets dirt thrown on him as the grave digger is you know grave digging (laughs) and jerry and the grave digger both laugh because he's like can you throw it over there after he gets hit and then he moves and then he hits him again it's funny (laughs) you gotta find humor yes (laughs) never work a day in your life no Inside the coffin, Maitland is struggling for air as he lights another fucking match. (laughs) You're only hurting yourself. But he coughs. But outside the grave, nobody hears the cough but Tom, who just gets dismissed. They're like, no, you fucking idiot. We didn't hear anything. It's like, okay. Wasn't he the closest, though? I mean, I would take his word for it. Yeah. I'd be like, you heard what? Yeah. Let's get get, get, get out of here. Fuck out of here. I just couldn't even get the word out because I scared myself (laughs) of being in that situation. So we cut to Alex again, who's driving in his car and there's a sign that says graveyard and he just keeps going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <And he> <laughs> are those signs common in England? Graveyard this way or whatever. Sure. It's yeah. But he muses to himself that Maitland should be waking up about now. And he wonders how long it will take before he realizes he's not coming. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's an asshole. And everyone verbalizes yeah. their assholeness. But back in the graveyard, the gravedigger finally gets down to the coffin and the anticipation builds as he opens it. But like, wouldn't Maitland have heard them digging him up this whole time? Wouldn't he be screaming? Yeah. I mean, or I well, know. I mean, he he's out of air. His, he's lit. Yeah, too many matches. Yeah. He's like Alex <laughs> in his mind. He thinks it's Alex. Yeah. yeah. So he should be like, whoo, almost there, buddy. Yeah. But the gravedigger opens the coffin and Maitland sits bolt upright, screaming Alex's name. Tom and Jerry's <laughs> hair is blown back. And they literally flee from the graveyard as cartoonish music plays. Yeah. Yeah. It's and like Scooby-Doo. Jerry runs into a little hole in the wall. <laughs> <laughs> but they run out into the street as Alex is driving by. He swerves out of the way and they jump out of the road anyway, but he swerves and yeah. then hits a tree and then his fucking car immediately bursts into flames. Yeah. <laughs> his car was made of matches and so it's just the whole thing. But I like that again. Come up and... Yeah. Dude, he fucking okey-doked him. He did. Like, uh, Tom and Jerry seem unaffected by this. Like, this dude is literally burning and they're like, well... Yeah, as nobody's going to talk about this dude just blew up. Yeah. <laughs> it's a while. They're like, it's been a crazy yeah. night. <laughs> you know, maybe we shouldn't be doing yeah. this. They left medical school after that. It's a changed their whole <laughs> lives. Tragic really. tale. Yeah. 
but the gravedigger comes out and tells them to come back. They approach the grave and the gravedigger tells them they can give him his money now. He apologizes for the head and we pan down to see the end of his tool is bloody and dripping and Maitland's head has been caved in and he is actually dead now. Yeah. I'd be like, you need to pay me extra because I was just oh, supposed yeah. to dig up a corpse, not make a corpse. <laughs> not dig and make the corpse. I'm an accessory. Yeah. No, I am the murderer. I'm, I oh, yeah. this right. Although in all fairness, the way he lurched up, I think you could have a self-defense case. I, like, <laughs> I mean, maybe instead is of is there a defense for I was scared? Yeah. I think I think there is. I was startled. But yeah, club to death. Yep. Rob D. <laughs> <laughs> so, what did you guys think of Bargain and Death? This one was just okay for me. It wasn't uh, the strongest one for me. It wasn't bad though. It was it was funny at times. It uh, was like really funny. Yeah. But like, yeah, dude hit the tree and blew up and they're just like, oh. he's like, hey, boys. And then they're all right. All right. And they go back. <laughs> what the fuck? I have no idea. Like, that dude's yep. probably dead. Yeah. <laughs> they, they did not give a shit. Wouldn't you be like, oh, this we can get this body. Or well, wouldn't you Some, be like, hey, we're in medical school. Let's help him. Oh, yeah. How about that shit? I'm all, let's take his body. Yeah. <laughs> let's cut his corpse up. Nay. Good Lord. Let's finish the job. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking through their mother. They're like, well, a bird in the hand <laughs> but i mean my thing is like i i agree with you completely it feels like they just did not give this one time to breathe no <laughs> yeah no pun intended but we did feel like dude in the coffin there's yeah. no air yeah. no i think that oddly from what i read on this one it seems like the most faithful to the comic really there's only one change that they made is that whenever he's giving his little monologue of and then when alex comes i'm gonna <laughs> fuck him up or whatever yeah. He is going to push him into the coffin, like force him into the coffin with the gun and then close it. Like he's uh, that's smarter. switching the burial. That's smarter. So it's like pretty fucked up. But he's like, no, I'm prune. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just I mean, I don't know. I feel like this one is very. We said the other ones were to the point, but there is even, nothing. Even but more so. Point. Yeah. yeah. This is all point. Even down to instead of like showing us things, just telling us. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not digging yeah. him up. It's like, okay, Alex, we saw uh, you yeah. drive past the He looks at the camera. He's like, I'm also a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> so you won't feel bad when I'm exploded later. <laughs> Give me five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I had to pick a least favorite, it would be this one. Yeah. Um, It was still charming, though. Yes. Like it was still fun. Oh, yeah. It just, it was very like <laughs> back to back. And and you got to love, if only we had a body. Yeah. Oh, we wow. have a body. <laughs> <laughs> but back in the sub basement, Critchett says the nightmare is preposterous and Maitland doesn't deny that, but he says it felt so real. Moore asks why that particular nightmare. And Critchett is like, you're not interested in his nightmare. You're interested in your own nightmare. <laughs> and Moore's like, bet. Yeah. Finally, he begins. And his nightmare starts on the island of Haiti. We're now starting drawn and quartered. So in Haiti, Moore is in a hut painting when Bob, played by Maurice Kaufman, just walks in. But they seem happy to see each other. Bob is here on business and he heard Moore was here too. So he decided to stop in and see him. We see that Moore is working on a self-portrait, but says it's just like all the rest of his work, worthless. And I'm like, damn, dude, are you me? Yeah, I know. You have no confidence. <laughs> I Again, I can relate. <laughs> I do want to say it's very fitting he's an artist because he does look like Vincent Van Gogh. He does. Yeah. He does. 
But Bob drops the science that he just saw one of Moore's pieces sell for 5,000 pounds. Moore knew nothing about this, and Bob informs him that it was sold in a gallery owned by a man named Gaskill on behalf of a man named Dilton. And it sold at such a high price because his work has been praised by an art critic named Fenton Breedley. Moore pours himself a drink in complete disbelief. That night, Moore visits a houngan played by Tony Hazel and tells him that he wants to buy voodoo to get revenge on those who have wronged him. And I'm like, say words, son. He's straight up. It went from, (laughs) I got some bad news about certain people. And he's like, all right, I am going to curse them (laughs) immediately. They're dead. Well, he had a lot of information. He did. So-and-so from so-and-so. So so I was like, damn. Basically, it's these three men that have wronged you. (laughs) I did want to point something out because I know we had some discussions about terminology. Uh huh. I did see that this could also be referred to as a bokor. Okay. And it made me think of that episode of Night Visions called The Bokor. <laughs> <laughs> and I was wondering if anyone else remembered Night what would, Visions. What would made you make you think of that? Well, it just put me in the same mood. I don't know. <laughs> Dude, Night Visions was so good, though. Right? Henry Rollins all pissed off. All mad. It's like, do you want me to watch or not? Do you even want to be here, dude? <laughs> He's always mad. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But the Houngan instructs him to sit down and asks what he does for a living. When Moore says that he's an artist, he instructs him to put his hand that he paints with into the pot between them. We pan over, though, to see that the pot is suspended over fire and the liquid inside is boiling. Yeah. (laughs) I laugh my ass off because he goes, no. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what do you say? It's the best answer. He does, but then he tells him that if he wants the voodoo, he has to do it. Moore slowly puts his hand in the pot, but when he pulls it back out, his hand is wet but unharmed. Moore marvels at his hand and asks if now he gets the doll to stick pins in. But he says it in like a condescending way. So yeah. like, are you, do you believe in this or do you don't, you don't believe in this? He believes in it enough to be here. Yeah. And to stick his hand in fucking boiling water. Or maybe he's just he's like, ig- do I get my doll now? Maybe he's just yeah. ignorant as Fuck shit off. and he's like, so we all leave with the doll, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of how I took it. Yeah. Was he didn't know what the fuck was going on. He's yeah. like, one doll, please. He's <laughs> like, I don't know anything about boiling water. I don't. And I'm sorry. I, I just have to point it out. I know it's 1973 in England. Something is telling me that their Haitian voodoo rituals are not accurate. <laughs> in this film. I'm going to vote probably okay, not. So. But the Houngan tells him that he's an artist. He doesn't need a doll. Then he's like, now nah, get the fuck out. <laughs> he's yeah. done with him. Moore leaves him the money and then does what he's told. After he's gone, the Houngan just shakes his head. Yeah, he, even he's disappointed in him. Yeah. He's like, no. he's like a doll. Get the yeah. fuck out of here. <laughs> Jesus. Come into my house. <laughs> now, I will say, I for some reason, I took it that that was a tip. And so I was like, you know what? Moore is my favorite one so far. He tipped his voodoo practitioner, which is always good practice. Yeah, but he didn't pay. If that was a tip, he didn't pay. Well, then he... I don't know. <laughs> Look, I'm telling you how it made sense in my head. I didn't okay. say it made sense. That right. was where you made your mistake. Yeah, that's my fault. Yeah, I'm ashamed. <laughs> but in the morning, Moore works on his painting before sitting down to do a sketch. He uses charcoal to sketch out a vase holding his paintbrushes, and he fucking does it quick, and it yeah. looks good. Yeah, it's better than I can do. Uh, absolutely. I mean, not you, me. <laughs> yeah, you're like, you cannot draw. <laughs> 
Although I will say, when I was in high school art class, I did a really good apple. I, I drew uh, an I apple. Apologize. But, you know, no big deal. I'm not talented at all. But I drew an apple, he says. I did. I was really proud. I got it. He hung it up, my art teacher. <laughs> but long story short, I do love that he took a break from his art to do more art. Right. But he looks at it as he quickly works, then takes the drawing from the pad. He walks over to the trash can and rips up the drawing, which is like, dude, it was fine. What yeah. do you want from it? But as soon as it hits the trash can, he hears a crash and turns to see the real vase shattered on the floor. It's Corman's calamity up in here. Right. That's the second time we brought this up. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It's a great one. It's so good. But he quickly slices a piece of bread and then throws it on the floor. He sketches it and then grabs his eraser and erases the bottom right corner of the bread. Just as he finishes, a rat lets itself into his hut and just starts nibbling at the bottom corner of the bread before walking away. Then we see, we look at the picture again so that we, the audience, are like, it's the same. Shit. Now, I do want to say, I don't like housing where a rat (laughs) can just let itself in. He's like, is that bread I smell? And just walked in. Well, he took a small piece and was like, all right, I'm gone. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's I'm, like, I'm not greedy. Yeah. Because <laughs> then I, I'll get God. He yeah. just, <laughs> yes. He's like, have you seen the Vault of Horror? Yeah. Don't be a greedy fuck. Mm-mm. So I, a quick question. Some of these drawings he does really fast. Uh-huh. Is this he really does, him doing it? Cr- or? I'm going to bet no, but I don't or know. There- <laughs> I, yeah, I feel like no. Well, you have a thing about dry paintbrushes on. I do. Was it what? We don't see. We didn't see him paint. It's either zoomed in on his hands while he's sketching or like the back of the yeah. easel while he's painting. Well, then my vote is that I'm he did sure not that do it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that brush is dry. Mm-hmm. But he goes over to his self-portrait and draws a line of red on his face of the painting. Mm-hmm. He inspects himself and nothing happens. He picks up the broken pieces of the vase and lays down to sleep. That night, we pan over and see it get dark outside before panning back over to more. So he just fucking slept all day. But I thought the transition was really cool. Yeah, I like that a lot. Island drum beats are playing as he tosses and turns. We see the Houngan sitting in front of the fire and staring right at us. Moore continues to toss and turn before screaming and falling out of bed and right into the trash can. (laughs) (laughs) So that was a dream within a dream. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. But when he gets up and looks in the mirror, he's cut in the exact spot that he marked on his portrait. Why did he have to choose violence for his test? Like, why didn't he put he like... draw himself holding some money? Yeah, draw, <laughs> draw some money in his shirt pocket or something. Why did we both go to money? It sucks to be poor, guys. <laughs> I thought he was making himself look younger or something. Oh, he was that like, would be interesting. You know what I mean? Oh, I like, thought, he thought was, that was rouge? <laughs> nah, well, you know what I mean? I thought he was like, you know what? Let me touch myself up, see what happens. Look, look at this apple cheek yeah. to lad. He can't be more than tall. <laughs> but later, we see Bob giving more money. Moore says that it's enough to get him to London, and he'll be able to pay Bob back this money plus a lot more. That night, we see Moore packing his self-portrait, which is now finished in a perfect likeness of him. It looks great. It looks fantastic. So whoever painted it, (laughs) great job. Hats off. Moore arrives back in London and is able to rent his old studio back. The landlord is the shit. Oh, yeah. Keep that in mind because there's something they changed from the comic. Uh, But the landlord sets him up and tells him that he even got the safe that he asked for, as well as some milk and bread in case he wanted some tea. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. He was so kind. I was like, are you his agent? Like, yeah. <laughs> what is this? What's happening? 
but he leaves. Moore opens up the safe and places his self-portrait inside before locking it back. We cut to an office where Moore sits with Diltant, played by Denholm Elliott, Breedley, played by Terrence Alexander, and Gaskill, played by John Witte. They're fucking unapologetic. <laughs> Dilton tells him that if he ever had faith in his own work, he never would have listened to Breedley say that his paintings were bad and then sell them to him at such a low price. So the lesson here is be confident in what you do. Even if the critics tell you you're shit. Exactly. You're doing amazing, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> but Gaskell tells him that it's just the way of the world. And there's no remorse or ruse that these three dudes just swindled the fuck out of him. No, they're proud of it. Yeah. yeah. Moore tells him that he's going to have his revenge. And they all literally <laughs> fucking laugh at yeah. him. You're laughing. <laughs> he vowed his revenge. And, and you're, you're laughing. laughing. But he storms out. <laughs> Back at his studio, he has three easels set up. On each of them, he, like you said, very fucking, very quickly. <laughs> Dude, he banged those out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I even wrote, I was like, damn, that was fast. Because <laughs> you see him start sketching the first one. Right. Turn around, then the camera comes back. He's fucking done. I was like, holy shit. Full background? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like everything. Like the color all fading. Yeah. yeah I mean, he killed it. But he draws one for each of the men who wronged him. He sets them all up and stands in front of the painting of Fenton Breedley, the art critic. But he says that Breedley lied about his paintings to the public and now he will never see another painting again. He takes a knife and pokes holes through Breedley's eyes in the painting. Now we cut to Breedley's home and... <laughs> I'm he's sorry. in the middle of an argument. Apparently, he's been cheating on his wife, played by Sylvia Marriott. And it is basically like, it's no big deal. We're living in the 20th yeah. century now. Now, I will say a little personal anecdote. Hmm. I'm the type of person that will dream that somebody does something bad and be mad at them the next day. <laughs> Listen, I'm looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. feel bad for John Paul because it's always him. But poor of JP. Yeah. In my dream, he'll be cheating on me or at a party acting a fool or something. And this is always what he does after he's confronted with it. Uh -huh. Okay, and like it's it's worse than the cheating, to be honest. I just imagine him, you guys waking up and he's like, Good morning, and you're like, Well, for you it might be. <laughs> no, yes. Like that's insane. What are you I'm doing? I'm not like mean to him. I'm just like, I'm having some feelings that I need to work past because you were very rude in my dream last night and he's like i Great. can't yeah i i can't I do anything about I didn't that. Do that he's always like it wasn't me and i'm like well it was someone that looked a lot like you so <laughs> so just so give so me some time yeah. give me like a half an hour and i'll get over it but that made me like poke his fucking eyes out because he's like yeah and like well, so yeah. What? he did not care at all no, no no literally no but his wife reaches behind her and picks up a <laughs> picks up a bottle from the desk. She tells him that he will never see another woman again before throwing the contents into his face. And I guess it was a bottle of acid. Oh dude. yeah. <laughs> First of all, it was green as Listerine. <laughs> I was like, real acid? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It's first of all, this is exactly what happens in the comic, so there's no change. But I was like, this is very comic-y, right? No, yeah. Well, it just made me think of the American Dad episode where <laughs> the lady throws the right. acid in Francine and she acid in your face, you fine ass bitch. <laughs> I do remember I knew that. One of y'all was gonna say that, that. Well, it was. It was very. <laughs> we both went to the cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> 
I just, it just seemed very like, well, you know what? In the seventies, we used to keep vats of acid next to our beds. It was just a thing that yeah. we did. We? Uh, uh, I mean, yeah. it was they, a thing they, that they, they did. They part of the culture. <laughs> but Breedley's face is already red and burned, and he screams with his eyes closed. As he screams, we're back in the studio, and we come back to the portrait with his eyes poked out. Moore walks over to the portrait of Arthur Gaskill, the art dealer. He says he lied and told them his paintings were worthless and that he couldn't do anything with them. So now he will never handle anything again. <laughs> I mean, it's justice of yeah. the unicorn, I yeah, think. No, no joke. Again, I love the irony of yeah. his punishments. I like um, how clever he was about it. Yeah, because yeah. he's I, creative. I think these are the only two that he's clever with. <laughs> the yeah, last yeah, one, he's yeah. like, fuck it. Yeah. But... He takes out a knife and cuts the painting and then rips out Gaskill's hands from the painting. I like how nobody else had hands, but he did. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, he knew what he I was going to do. Yeah. yeah. At Gaskill's office, a man is using a paper cutter and Gaskill chastises him for using it incorrectly. You remember those? Those used to scare yeah. the shit out of me in elementary school. Well, I'm remember. like, why is this in our classroom? Somebody's going to lose a finger. <laughs> That's scary. They were. They they're just like, a giant yeah, blade. They're yeah. like all psycho sound. For me, this seemed like one of the most like archaic versions of that. Yeah. yeah. It was like some medieval shit. Yeah. Like well, that's a torture he, device. He had yeah. to like turn a thing to raise <laughs> yeah. it up. It, it wasn't was a simply lot. lifting it. No. Why did they have those in our classes? <laughs> those should have just been in the teacher's lounge. I don't think it yeah. was I don't think we should have been doing that. The nineties were rough, guys. Yeah. yeah. But as he sets up the papers, he continues to talk shit, telling the man he doesn't even know why they employ him. He tells him to watch as he brings the blade down and cuts the paper in half. The man is just taking this abuse and Gaskill tells him to use his intelligence. He tells him that he will show him once more, which is T's favorite <laughs> Dude, line in the my, whole thing. Because, the, continue. You always say that, I'll show you once more. <laughs> it's become one of my favorite things to say. <laughs> before, but we'll talk about it in a second. <laughs> before raising the blade again, he is sliding the paper under the blade, like fully his yeah. hands under the blade. Mm -hmm. And he turns to talk more shit, but then the blade comes down and completely <laughs> cuts both of his hands off. And he screams. And he screams. Here's why I love it so much. Because he, he's being a dick. Yes. Yeah. That's the whole point. He literally showed him how to do it, but then that wasn't <laughs> enough. And he's like, I'll show you once more. He had to rub yeah. it in. And then after Stop he, talking to adults like they're kids or yes. you're going to get got. When he gets his hands under it, he turns to him and says, see? <laughs> <laughs> and that's when he gets fucked up. And that to me is so good because if he would have just Done been satisfied yeah. with the one time, yep. he'd still have his fucking hands. And you know that guy was like, fuck yeah. yeah. Like, did I do that with my mind? <laughs> <laughs> that would suck so bad. Oh my God. Oh, it took, why is the knife that sharp? It we're just uh, cutting through yeah. it like butter. <laughs> but as he screams, we see the cut on his hands in the portrait. Finally, Moore goes over to Dilton's portrait. Then he smiles and he's like, you can wait until tomorrow. <laughs> so that's enough revenge he's like, for I'm one He's like, I'm tired. <laughs> I just killed two people. So. <laughs> and completed three like masterful paintings as well. Honestly. That's got to take yeah. it out of you. He had to switch gears. <laughs> like, <laughs> those are unrelated. But we pan over to the safe with Moore's portrait safely stowed inside. We cut to Dilton sitting in his office when he's told over the intercom that Moore is here to see him. He tells his secretary to let Moore in and that she can go home for the day. Moore asks if he's read about the other two <laughs> because now it's his turn. And I'm like straight out the gate talking shit. I love it. Love it. But he sets his watch on the desk and tells Dilton that he 
then he has two minutes to live. <laughs> he sets up his easel, but Dilton immediately pulls a gun on him. I would have been ready too. Yeah. If he's like, I'm going to get revenge and then my other two buddies are oh, fucking yeah. dead. I just love that well, he's reading about de- it in the well, paper. Well, yeah. they're not dead. They're just maimed, right? Well, yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about well. that. So he's not a murderer. Right. Just a maimer. <laughs> I'd, mm, I don't know. I was about to commit about? to something <laughs> that I do not want to commit to on tape. But, <laughs> but he places the portrait of Dilton on the easel and takes out a red pen. Dilton watches as Moore draws a red circle right in the middle of Dilton's forehead on the painting. Drum beats swell as Dilton shakily points his gun. He grabs the hand with the gun with his other hand and tries to steer it away, but he's unable to. He finally points the gun toward his own face and with it pressed up against his forehead, he pulls the trigger. We see him with the same red mark as the portrait as he falls to the ground dead. Now, did anybody else think he was going to shoot the painting and then it, his, he was going to be shot? I did for a second. And then I'm like, oh no, you're just making him yeah, fucking shoot yeah. himself. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I, the only reason I didn't is because he's leaving a lot of the heavy lifting to the curse. Yes. Yeah. He's like, look, uh, we'll poke his eyes out. However you want to go about yeah. doing that, that's fine. <laughs> I just, I'm telling you the end result. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I'm taking these hands, do whatever <laughs> you feel. <laughs> well, he stayed, he stayed pointing for for a little bit. Yeah. So that's why I was like, so is he going to shoot the painting and then? It's going to just appear or I just thought I wish we would have gotten a you thought that you could trick me. Now you'll never think again. Yeah. Oh, this that's one was true. Just yeah. like, oh, no, you're just dead. Yeah. Now. Like, you thought you were so cunning or something. <laughs> something. It now your a- brain is mush yeah. or whatever. I didn't. <laughs> now I, your brain is running. <laughs> <laughs> He's the Riddler. So more sense <laughs> of the painting next to Dilton's body, which is really just insult to injury. Yeah. But. Then he just suddenly starts gasping for air. Well, setting the painting up, I, I guess, because he's like, you didn't think I was good enough. Killed you, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I feel like anything he leaves here is evidence, though. Absolutely. Because they're like, hmm, who painted? Yeah. So he yeah. shot in the head. Maybe let's find the guy who drew him and then drew a dot on his yeah. head. Yeah. Open and shut case, Johnson. Right. It doesn't take Sherlock Holmes. Okay. So <laughs> he's also in England. He is. That's why I said him. But we flash to the safe in his studio and it's like, oh shit, his painting's locked up. But it's been locked up for days. Yeah. I, his painting is lighting matches in there. And yeah. <laughs> I do love this little wrinkle though. Oh, yeah. Because it's like you can't even like lock it up to keep it safe. Yeah. No. Man, hell of a time to do a self portrait right he picked a bad he had already started it if you just would have abandoned it then Mm -hmm. why didn't you rip it up like the fucking vase drawing he really liked it i guess yeah yeah see that's what i thought too i was like i would have never painted myself again well he didn't know yet he didn't know well well he had worked on it he was working on it a little yeah Yeah. he had to finish it or else Mm -mm. or else he'd lose all his color and he'd (laughs) (laughs) but that was before he made mistakes. All right. We all make them. So, so back at the office, Moore flees, leaving his watch on Dilton's desk, and they make sure we see it. Mm-hmm. Back at his studio, still gasping for air, Moore manages to open his safe. Once the door is open, he's able to finally breathe deeply. He pulls a self-portrait out of the safe and puts it on the empty easel. He lights a cigarette, which I would not be smoking near that thing, <laughs> and goes to check his watch, but realizes that it's been left at Dilton's office. He rushes out, but we pan up over his self-portrait to see through the windowed ceiling that there's a man painting a sign on the building above him. 
I'm sure it's unrelated. Of course. At least, unlike Rogers in the first segment, he cares about leaving evidence behind. Yeah. Yeah. Dude is like, I'll stab my sister. Yeah. And leave the oh. knife sticking out yeah. and not wipe the fingerprints off. Not at all. He just wiped the blood off. Yeah. <laughs> but outside, Moore runs through the streets trying to get a taxi. Intercut or shots of the painter going about his business next to a precariously positioned can of, I guess, paint thinner. Yeah. He finally kicks it over and it crashes through the glass of the studio, directly knocking over the self-portrait. Just as this happens, Moore is hit and run over by a large truck. We get a shot of the painting inside the studio, his face completely melted and ruined, except for one eye. Now, I will say when I was a kid, that painting scared the shit out of me. <laughs> well, no, it looks really cool. It looks so good and creepy. But it, that doesn't look like the painting from earlier. That looks like, like now he would look the side you could tell was sad he's like oh <laughs> well he's i'd dead. be sad too well i know but the other one is just looked like a picture of yeah. him now this one he's kind of sad he's all melted <laughs> yeah <laughs> no that scared me too and i don't know why because literally there's a lot of very specific things that have to happen for that <laughs> yeah. to happen i'm like to you. oh i'm fucked i'll never draw again yeah. <laughs> it's like well you gotta go to a houngan that's, that's why i'm not an artist yeah get screwed over by a critic <laughs> <laughs> and and an art dealer <laughs> and <laughs> It's a lot of moving parts. Let's just say that. But what did y'all think of Drawn and Quartered? This one is clearly where they put. For sure. Like the other one, you could tell it was a little. Yeah. But this one, you can tell they spent the most time on. But I do like this one. That painting at the end. And the the thing I do like is the creativity of it. Like the story or like, it's like, damn, it's like, what the hell? They really put more time into this one. Yeah. It's like they went to bargain and death and they're like, look, we're cutting half your time and budget. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to give it to Drawn and Quartered. Well, and they, even the title is the best. It's so good. Yeah. It's punny. But the movie's barely an hour and a half. It's mm-hmm. not quite an hour and a half. And this is like half an hour of it. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, shit. You're right. You, it yeah. Is. You have the four other stories sharing that hour. And then it's like, now it's time for the finale. Yeah. They left the heavy hitter for last. Mm-hmm. Which, which you should. Exactly. And... Uh, it's just the best it is it's the best one story-wise and even as far as if we're talking about tom baker i think he was the most captivating of the leading men in this besides besides terry Terry thomas Thomas, because he was fantastic (laughs) but i mean you you saved literally the best of everything for last Yeah. yeah i think and i think that's admirable in an anthology to do yeah and also everything was like the main character getting their comeuppance. Yeah. This mm-hmm. was the main character giving comeuppance. So it yeah. kind of, that's different as well. And also getting, because I mean, when you think about At it. At the end, yeah. But all all they really did was screw him over and he's like, so I'm going to ruin their lives. Yeah. Yeah. Granted, and for what? A little bit of money. <laughs> I watched Fargo, Fargo last night. I fucking love that movie. But I did want to talk about the only difference in the comic which was, I guess, one of his tests to see his newfound powers mm-hmm. was he painted his landlord and then <gasps> cut his legs off. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And then, but the funniest thing is that I read that afterwards the landlord goes outside, he gets hit by a car, and there's a passerby that's like, he's going to need those amputated. <laughs> <laughs> so again, everything just really on the nose in the comic. I'm so glad that they didn't do that because... Yeah. What did the landlord do? I don't know. I don't know if in the comic he was an asshole. This is the only one I couldn't find the full comic for. Right. But um, if it's the dude from the film, he was the nicest man ever made. That landlord. This is definitely my favorite one. Yeah. Uh, 
I mean, I feel like you guys covered it, but it's so good. And it really is like creative and thoughtful and unique in that way. And it's like you could have done something good with it. Like instead of getting revenge, you could have drawn yourself like in a mansion. Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. But I'm sure there's like a monkey's paw situation. But still. Yeah, you know, it's true. I mean, you could have literally just put a nameplate in front of you and said art dealer's boss yeah. and, then, <laughs> and then fired him. <laughs> I mean, it, you didn't have to literally blind what? people. Yeah. <laughs> No, he's maiming and murdering, but I mean, you know, I, they I, did him dirty. It's the I vault just, of horror. Vault yeah. of horror. I just wouldn't, I would not have drawn myself at all after that. No. Well, but he had already drawn himself. But he drew himself before, and then after he went to the Houngen, he was touching it up. But that's I'm, where he fucked no, up. No, that's what I'm saying. I would have stopped. Me? Yeah, no. after he was yeah. like, you're an artist. You don't need a doll. I'd be like, this hunt. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'd be like, I, you know, I but got some fucking powers. Look, I'm paranoid without going to a Houngen. Right. So I'd be afraid that anything I've ever drawn is going to be powerful. Right. Yeah, I guess. I mean, you could test that out. He did. No, he tested what he drew after. Yeah. Ah, oh, shit. You're right. So, I mean, I don't know. I would have been scared to fucking draw a stick figure after i yeah. went to that dude but i wouldn't put myself in a safe i tell you that much no oh, no no but back in the sub basement critchett's like well we all have our cross to bear which i don't really think applies here but yeah. he's like but moore's was the best yeah <laughs> right guys aren't you glad he waited but Moore tells him it was just so real as if it had actually happened or could happen sebastian asks if their fears could be a warning of what may happen but critchett isn't trying to hear it Suddenly, the elevator begins to ding and the men all stand up and make their way over to it because they're like, well, party's over. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, it tolls for thee. Uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> when the door finally opens, we're looking at a cemetery. They step outside and all go to explore except for Sebastian, who just stands by the door. Now, at this point, the DS Ire starts playing, mm-hmm. which I spoke of on episode 11, The Shining. <laughs> <laughs> But he watches as the men just disappear one by one. He says, that's how it is and how it always shall be. Night after night, we have to retell the evil things we did when we were alive. Night after night for all eternity. He goes back inside the building, which is now a mausoleum. And he walks toward his grave and he disappears too. We pan out and the door closes with a slam. Why does he get the fancy mausoleum? Yeah. I don't know. I was like, why does he get to stay? It should have been Critchett. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you guys think of the Vault of Horror? Uh, like I said at the beginning, I had never seen this mm-hmm. and I'd never heard of it. I didn't know what it was, um, but I really did enjoy this movie. I'm uh, so glad. Yeah. Yeah. It Well, like I said, it had like a the old school B-horror movie feel to it. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I'm a sucker for those and I watched this and I and there was a lot like every story I feel like wasn't necessarily bad yeah and they were all creative like they were all shit that was like what the hell you know (laughs) what I mean uh especially the last one Yeah. yeah and then that too I I I didn't figure out the ending till about like maybe the third dream and then I was like, okay, something's mm-hmm. not right. Because the they're all like, it's so real. Yeah. And what about yours? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I did enjoy this movie a lot. And uh, if you haven't seen it, I would recommend watching For it. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah. I feel like the stories are so fun, even though they deal with some dark shit in some of them. They do. Yeah. 
But it's so great because, I mean, it has the camp of like an EC comic situation. You see, just from watching this, you see where Creepshow... Oh, for sure. You know? Yeah. So it's just so fantastic. I love the stories of revenge and comeuppance. It is such an interesting thing where an anthology has almost like a morality tale to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Each one, they did something wrong. Right. There isn't a situation where some innocent dude is just getting fucked up. Oh, yeah. You know? So, I mean, I I love that extra layer to it. Mm -hmm. And I can't get over, of course... It was from the 70s, man. I just love that aesthetic so much. You miss it, right? Yeah. I don't know why I became a vampire in this (laughs) episode. I was born in 1991, okay? Sure you were. I mean, I may not act like it, but... (laughs) No, I love this movie. I was so excited that we were finally going to talk about it because I hope that people who haven't seen it will watch Mm -hmm. it like you did because it's... It doesn't have the stuff that movies have today to kind of rely on. Right. So they really just had to go with characters and the story. And even if there's, you know, wires on rope, like who gives a fuck? No, I I don't care. You know, it's so it's just so good and it's just fun. And uh, yeah, I mean, I love it. I do want to ask y'all, though, to rank them. Mm. Okay, so for me, we're doing best to worst. Right. None of them are worst. Yeah. Right. That's that's, that's the, the hard part. I yeah. do want to say before we get into it, and I'm not asking you to rate the frame story, but I really enjoy the frame story. No, mm-hmm. yeah. Which is not always easy right. with these anthologies. Sometimes that frame story is like, whoo, just tell us the stories. Like VHS. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you were trying to be nice. Yeah. <laughs> I will gladly be. Am I the asshole? Yes. But no, this is a lot of... It's just fun. Right. But, but also... You get just enough of the frame story and yes. not too much. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to, but why? Or what? You you know what I mean? Yeah. You don't, it's just it's to get just, you to the yeah. next one. Um, For me, the last one. Drawn just, and quartered. That is number one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, The tidy. The neat job. Neat mm-hmm. job. N- Going to be number two. <laughs> the, uh, the rope. Uh-huh. Okay. That's number three. Uh, then the vampire one, uh-huh. and then of course the coffin one, or buried alive. Okay, yeah. so that's exactly the same. Yeah. As mine. <laughs> I do. Same thing. I knew something told me that it was gonna be all three of us the exact same. Well, I mean, you can tell you by can. watching them. Yeah, you can. But still, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. But I was just curious. <laughs> I didn't expect a uh, ding, 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 ding. fucking hat trick. Yeah. No. But I guess we can go into ratings. Right. This movie's just so much damn fun. I will literally re- rewatch it whenever. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of bummed that I waited this long because there's some movies that you just don't think are going to hold that same magic for you. Mm-hmm. But this one really does. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't even really think of anything negative to say about it, Mm-mm. except maybe we could have spent a little more time with them because it is mm-hmm. very this, 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 the end, yeah. you know, but um i mean that's not it's an anthology it's not yeah. a full film it's not fucking right. breaking bad like i can't <laughs> and in their defense the comics they're based on are very quick yeah like there's no room for fucking anything right it's not preacher no. <laughs> so, i mean it's great it's yeah. a great movie so on a scale from one to ten neatly labeled jars <laughs> i'm gonna give the vault of horror eight out of ten neatly labeled jars respectable it's not perfect right but 
it's so much fun. I just, I love it. I'll, like I said, I'll watch it again whenever. <laughs> but I'll now open the floor. Like I said a couple of times already, I've never seen this, mm-hmm. but I did enjoy this movie. And it, for, for being old, you know, sometimes they're outdated or they kind of, yeah. you know, but this one, like you said, even though you see the wire, you don't, it still has the charm. Yeah. yeah. It's still, you forgive it because it's a, it's a good movie or anthology. My only complaint, and I will say this, I feel like it's too short. Like I want, I want a little more time. That's That's very fair. fair. Because like you were saying, uh, babe, the frame story, you don't need a lot. They're telling you, you know what I mean? What happened to them? So you mean you want the stories to be longer or you want a couple more guys in there? No, maybe the story's a little longer. Get to know them a little better. Because the the time they spend in the frame story is like seconds. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So if you just do that and then add a little more to their character or their stories, give me a little more. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like we said uh, about the guy being buried alive. We don't know (laughs) what the fuck's happening. What's going on? It it comes in and he's like, okay, you're going to need to bury me alive. I'm like, wait, what? And like, are you in trouble? <laughs> are is the mob after you? Yeah, Why are like, we, we doing don't know this? that. What's the, the story? And then, dude, uh, painting and guy just comes in his hut and he's like, "Hey, what's going on? You remember me? <laughs> what, I am your agent. Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> why are you in Haiti? Why yeah, is more in Haiti? No shit. <laughs> yeah, why is he there? I, I guess he's like, my paintings are trash, and yeah, then he just no. fled. I don't took know. Took a vacation to Haiti. I don't know. And if he's painting them that fast and that good, you can't tell me you really thought your paintings were trash. Dude. <laughs> yeah. Come on. One, one critic? <laughs> yeah. That's Jeez. Nuts. But I, I, I did uh, enjoy this movie a lot more than I thought that I was going to. Because um, I always try to just, like I said, if it's something I've never seen, mm-hmm. I try to just come and, you know, clean slate. Yeah, you uh, should. Let's yeah. just see what happens. And I did. I enjoyed it. So on a scale from one to ten, neatly labeled jars, I'm going to give the Vault of Horror... 7.5 neatly labeled jars. I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, I I did like the movie. You know, it doesn't like I said, it doesn't have any nostalgia for me. Right. Uh, but it's still a good movie. Yeah. And the sto- still solid. The stories, that's what I think that what really got me was like they're all different mm-hmm. and creative and just thinking of the shit like you said, it is very comic-y. Mm-hmm. But yeah. In a good way. It's yes, like, holy sure. shit, you pulled this off. <laughs> it's meant positively. Yeah. yeah. I can't say anymore. I've been talking a lot about this film, <laughs> saying how much I enjoy it, all the good things about it. I will say I've watched this with you since we were children. Yeah. Thanks to mom. And I plan to watch this for the rest of my life. For sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, also, I do want to point out that, you know, Amicus Productions made this after they made the Tales from the Crypt movie. So I do want to put it out there that I do want to cover Tales from the Crypt on here. Oh, I would love to. Because I imagine it's the same basic thing, an anthology horror film yeah. that's British made by the same company. I'm down. I bet it's just as fun as this is. Yeah. yeah. I was telling your sister, I didn't know that. I'm from the Tales from the Crypt of HBO. Right. So right. when they came out with the movie, then I was like, and then you were saying before, I was like, what the fuck? Tales like from the Crypt? The 70s. Yeah. I was like, damn, <laughs> it's been on TV that long? Yeah. But then you said, no, it was the comics. So yeah. I was like, oh, all right. Like, that oh, makes shit. sense. Yeah. That makes more sense. But I do want to do that also fucking there are so many stories to tell there why did they just make the two 
Yeah. Yeah, that's the real question. I want another one of these in the revival, 70s. Revival, revival. Yeah. Well, yeah. it can't happen in the 70s. No. Well, no. well I guess we can't go well, back in time. Why didn't you make it then? I am not a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> I have the widow's peak in the teeth, I know, but This come is on. much better than the Frozen stuff. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's you. I wrote that line. I mean, <laughs> Damn no. it. Here's the thing, though, is that I feel like what they were able to achieve at the time, I don't think can be replicated now. Right. Yeah. The feel of it, it's impossible to recapture. I'll still take it, though. I'll watch it. Yeah. <laughs> don't get me get wrong. Twisted. Despite everything I just said. No. <laughs> but all of that to say, on a scale from one to ten neatly labeled jars, I'm going to give The Vault of Horror 8.5 Neatly labeled jars out of 10. I can't give it any less than that. The only negatives I do find is, and this is a great thing for a film is to say, the only negative I could find is I want more of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. (laughs) We can all, that's the best we can hope for. Exactly. Well, that's all from us at Podmortem. What would you rate The Vault of Horror and what should we watch next? Let us know on Twitter at the Podmortem. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. Be sure to follow each of us on Twitter at Blood and Smoke, at RealStreeter84, and at TravisMWH. Please consider pledging to our Patreon and stay tuned until after the music for a special shout out to our Wendigo Getter patrons. And remember, be sure about the decisions you make. You might just have to live with them forever. Until next time. Thank you for staying tuned for a special thank you to our Wendigo Getter patrons. Woo! Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Just keep it simple. Was that how y'all said it in the 70s? Nay, I'm yeah. not a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> a special thank you to Chris Ontiveros, Kristen Lofton, Megan Martinez, Kimberly Bass, Melanie Van Husden, Sophie Hodson, Anthony Drome M, Jordan Nash, Kent, and Allison O'Morton. Guy54, Lala Thomas, Travis, Anissa Hunter, Miguel Myers ATX, Mandy, Jennifer Perez, Pierre Lombard, Jacob Tyler, Carissa, TJ Bronson, Gabrielle Trevino, Spooky Mom, Andy Teague, Applin Ontiveros, Karima Rhodes, and Antonio Huerta. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're all... (laughs) Much better than the frozen kind. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you for listening to us review movies. Night after night. For all eternity. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) We're dead, guys. Yeah. That's a twist. Right. It's fun, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time.